For the Tri-State Sports Beat with your hosts Nick Federico, Scott DeBell, and Joe Bruno. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Nick and Scott here for the beginning. Joe will be joining us in a little bit once we get into the stick and puck talk of this uh, episode. And basically, everything um, else. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, another week full of sports here when the New York teams involved baseball, basketball, uh, football's gearing up. And then of course the Islanders making the run in the Stanley cup playoffs. We'll get to all of it in this episode, but today we are going to kick it off with the New York metropolitans and the roller coaster that the New York Mets are. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all you can uh, describe them as is a roller coaster. Well, let's give them their props first before we absolutely destroy them. They won last night in Miami against the Marlins. Let, let, well, let's be honest. They may be in second place in the NL East right now, right? But they're still not a good team. Let's, you know, let's not get that twisted. They're still playing with a bunch, of a, a bunch of minor leaguers and stuff. So the Mets should have beaten the Marlins last night, and they did. A great encouraging sign. Alonzo hits two home runs, and Robinson Cano, who's now freaking hitting 412 right now after coming off the 10-day IL, hit two home runs last night. So the Mets went off for a barrage of runs last night. But... We're not here to talk about that. That's the series they're playing right now. But that has the, not been the case recently. No, it has not. The Mets right now, as they stand, are 10-14. and 14. Well, before they won last night, they lost five of their last seven, four games back of the Marlins for first in the NL East. That has since changed because it is now the Atlanta Braves back in first place in the National League East. But the Marlins are still there. So they get swept by the Phillies in three games on the road. And, you know, the Phillies aren't as great as everyone is – you know, projecting them to be. I thought they were going to win the, the National League East this year. I don't think that's going to happen. But here's the thing. The same old story continues. The Mets in this series leave 19 guys on base for a total of nine runs in these three games. Mind you this. Scott just found this out for himself before we started. They are now second in batting average and first in in on-base percentage, of course, headlined by Brandon Nimmo, who's got an on-base of about over 400. They just cannot score runs. This is absolutely, this is nothing like I've ever seen before. I love how the story right now is not the bullpen blowing games, because the bullpen is actually one of the best parts of the Mets right now. 
They cannot score runs for the life of them right now. But when you're and here's the other thing that bothered me too. This Phillies bullpen had a worse ERA than the Mets bullpen does. They had an ERA of over nine. What in the hell is that? Like, again, Yankee fan here, but I got to watch the Mets all the time. And to see them not score any runs against another minor league bullpen... Guys that shouldn't even wouldn't have even been in the major leagues if this whole Corona thing didn't hit. And it's a sixty game season. What is going on here? Yeah, just <laughs> a lack of a lack of clutch, I guess, is a way to put it. And then and then we can get on the pitching staff right now. The pitching staff in this yeah. series against Philly, they gave up eighteen runs Oof. in three games. And mind you, this. Scott, can you guess how many runs out of those 18 that the starting pitchers gave up? Mm, I'm going to go with 15. That is spot on, my friend. Wow. 15 of those runs were given up out of the 18. Being transparent, I did not know that before. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great guess. I'm go play the lottery. It's a great guess, but... That is just abysmal numbers. Yeah, that's horrible. Now, horrible. Uh, now I'll give the benefit of the doubt to one Walker Lockett. He's not any good, but he was thrown in in game one for Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom couldn't start because he had a stiff neck after coming off his last start. You know, he had the blister on his finger and, and you know, but he played through it. So I got to give him that. But he gave up five runs. You can't trust Walker Lockett, you know, long term. Let's just put it that way. But do you want to start to rip Steven Matz or do you want me to start? You can start. Oh, my. Because, oh, my Lord, is he bad. And I said in the beginning of the year, Steven Matz has to be the X factor for this, Mets, for this Mets rotation. You cannot rely on him to be this number two starter. He's just flat out sucks. Flat out terrible. And, you know, I don't blame Luis Rojas for not wanting to commit to him being a starter. And he shouldn't have to commit because Steven Matz is just that bad. But the, question, but the thing is, who else are the Mets going to put out there? Great question. Exactly. Now, there's been the possible talks about him moving to the bullpen. I don't think that's going to solve any issues. You know, with Robert Kesselman, the great Robert Kesselman, now becoming a starting pitcher, which is just abysmal, too. He pitched four innings last night, uh, if that, and was just nothing special. But the thing is with Max is that he is just going backwards. I mean, August 4th, the start against Washington, pitches three innings, gives up five, five runs, and then the blowout loss on the 10th, to the Nationals, the 16-4 loss. Four and a third gives up eight hits on eight runs. Oh, my God. And then his last start against Philly. Four and a third again gives up five hits and six runs. Is there anything staving Steven Matz at this point? I don't know, but he has to figure it out. It, it's unbelievable. Like, Just look at his stat line. He has pitched 23 innings in five games started. He has a nine ERA and a batting average against a three thirteen, and it's not like he's—he's not even like walking people. He has six walks in five starts, which you know, just above one walk per start. He just gives up hits upon hits. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. He's given up thirty hits in five games uh, started, and only Rick Rick Porcello has more than that in the uh, Mets rotation who has actually been there besides Jacob DeGrom and David Peterson has been their third best starting pitcher at this point yeah I mean he had the two awful starts in the beginning 
But if you believe it, Rick Porcello actually has a worse batting average against than Steven Matz does. Really? Rick Porcello has a 333 batting average against. Steven Matz only a 313. But oh Rick Porcello also has about uh, three and 3.2 earned runs less than the good old lefty slinger Steven Matz. So what do you what do you suggest Luis Rojas to do now with Steven Matz? I don't know. It's it's a very tough situation to be thrown in as a first year manager, especially with the shortened season. I mean, everyone talks about how uh, important you know every game is during the shortened season. His hands are tied. Like, mm-hmm. who else is he going to call upon to start a game? I mean, you can't take Seth Lugo out of the bullpen, even though granted he's been a little up and down this year, only a two six one ERA, but still like. Coming off last year, you expected him to be a real shutdown starter. Let's be honest, the bet the best pitcher, you know, other than DeGrom who we expect, Edwin Diaz has been great. Yeah. Other than the beginning of the season where, you know, he was still the closer and uh, you could tell like he had a lot of pressure uh, coming in uh, because of his awful season last year. His kind of like floating position, if you want to call it that, of, you know, not being tied down to the closer position and just coming in whenever Luis Rojas calls on him has been working out for him. Mm-hmm. He hasn't so, given, he has, Edwin Diaz hasn't given up a run since August 2nd. Yeah. I'm sorry, make that July 30th against Boston. But since then, he's only been pitching one inning per game. He hasn't, you know, gave up, he's given up a total of four hits since Yeah, he has a July 194 30th. batting average against in nine appearances. Struck out 17 batters and only walked four, which the walks were a big problem for him. He would just put guys on base left and right last year. Right. He's now pitching with no one on base, and you could see him, you know, he's a lot looser with no one on base. And I think also not being tied to the closer position and him not being, you know, the guy that needs to come in and be the closer, uh, for <laughs> for lack of a better term. He's just pitching so much more free and so much more. He, he just seems like he has a lot more confidence in, in his stuff right now. And Luis Rojas, you know, should have confidence in him. Now, do you keep floating him? For right now, if he continues to pitch like fantastic or, you know, if he starts really, you know, putting continues this no runs allowed streak, do you eventually move him back into the closer role? See, I don't, see, I don't know if you I don't know if you can really do that at this point. It's going to be he's because it's going to so be one of Luis Rojas's. It's going to be one of Luis Rojas's biggest decisions, I think, in his you know first year as a manager is how do you deal with Edwin Diaz if he continues this hot streak? Well, I don't know if you can really dismiss because if you put Edwin Diaz back in that role, it's kind of dismissing Seth Lugo as a closer. And I think mm-hmm. that Seth Lugo, Seth Lugo needs to be the closer on this team. I think he, I think he just yeah. has to. I mean, you know, gives up one run, gives up the game-winning run in Game 2 against Philly. You know, but other than that, he's been solid in, his clo- in the closer's role. And, you know, you want your best pit- – if you're Luis Rojas, you want your best pitcher out there when the game is on the line. And that's Seth Lugo, without a doubt, in the bullpen. I mean, you can't put Jacob DeGrom in every single situation. I mean, if, if he could, he would. But that's just that's just not realistic. So, but let's move on and talk about Rick Porcello and how much better he's been his last, you know, his last four starts. You know, against Philly, he gives up the early run, you know, in the first inning, and then he settles in, give, but then he gives up the two-run home run to, to McCutcheon and then gave the game away from there. But other than that, Porcello has been pretty good, and he's in a good position right now to be the Mets' number three starter in this rotation. You know, against Atlanta, you know, didn't get the no decision, gave up four runs, but as of recently, the first game, August 5th against Washington, you know, goes seven innings, gives up five hits and a run, and then this most recent start against against Philly, you know, in the loss, uh, ultimately, pitches six innings. He gave up the 10 hits, which is, you know, he's going to give his, up his share of hits. You know, we've seen that the past four starts. But he's been 
giving up minimal amounts of runs. He only gave up four runs and struck out six. And, you know, his ERA is now down to a 5.76. So if you're a Mets fan, if you want to take one positive thing right now out of the rotation besides Jacob DeGrom, it's Rick Porcello. Yeah, um, you mentioned it like his ERA would not be as high if he didn't have that implosion of a start against uh, Atlanta in his first start of the season where the, the Mets lost 14 to one. Um, and then he it really his only two bad starts have been against Atlanta. Granted, four four runs given up and is not considered a quality start when you pitch six innings. But, you know, four runs isn't the worst thing in the world. Like a team should be able to bounce back from that unless, you know, you're facing like, you know, the Grom or, you know, one of the uh, top tier aces uh, in baseball. But, you know, in his last three starts, he's only given up seven runs. Mm-hmm. So, and and it's not his fault that against Washington, when he pitched six innings and only gave up two runs, it's not his fault that the offense only scored one run. It's not like the old National League where he could have hit the ball himself like Jacob DeGrom had to do so much last year. And it doesn't help him also. It doesn't really help any starting pitcher for the Mets right now that their defense is just abysmal. It's horrible. Defense, you know, the, I mean, we rip... We rip a lot of guys, you know, we could rip Glaber Torres, we could rip Miguel Andujar for the limited action he's had in left field, but overall, the Mets are just not a good defensive team, and it shows. Yeah, and that, that Ramos tag from the other day oh. that everyone was freaking out about. I mean, Wilson Ramos has been known not to be a great defensive catcher. He's known yeah, He was for his brought offense. in here for his offense. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why we'll and talk- he's really not giving you any offense. He's hitting two oh six in 68 ba- uh, plate appearances. Exactly, and the guy that is taking opportunity of that is Tomas Nito. He's now given the opportunity because of Ramos's slumping. He's, you know, like you said, he's batting 200 right now. He's like 12 for 61 with only four RBIs and a home run. You know, besides this, you know, and to speak on Tomas Nito, besides the six RBI game against the Nationals, you know, he's done nothing special, but he's kind of making his case. You see him out there. He's pretty he's a lot better I wouldn't say a lot better but he's better defensively right now than Wilson Ramos and you know and you know we look at his stat line now you know that six RBI game against the Nationals you know he goes two for four and hits two home runs he's fantastic yeah and then again and then against Philly goes one for three and you know doesn't drive in any runs but he's better defensive he's the better defensive option right now than Louis when than Wilson Ramos. Unfortunately, I mean he's the best option, you know, in general. Yeah, pretty much. Offense and defense. Yeah, exactly. And but the thing is about Wilson Ramos is that Luis Rojas is going to get him in this lineup because of his bat. You know, you can take the lumps here and there. You know, a couple pass balls, a couple of guys stealing base on him. You know, Wilson Ramos is notorious for having bases stolen on him. Notorious. I think he had something like ninety something bases stolen on him last year. Uh, awful. Terrible. You know, Tomas Nito, I don't know if Tomas Nito is a long-term answer for the Mets at catcher. Uh, I think there's a lot better options out there, maybe. But as of right now, Tomas Nito, you know, may you can make a case for him being the starting catcher. Or at least, you know, splitting time some with Wilson Ramos. Mm-hmm. So then, another offensive surprise before we talk about the bullpen. Luis Guillorme, you know, pitcher... Second baseman, third baseman, (laughs) DH, utility guy, Luis Guillorme. Playing six straight games thus far, playing, you know, playing second base for Robinson Cano as he's coming back from the injury on a six game hitting streak. And I don't know what he did against uh, against the Marlins last night, even if he played. Um, I'll look that up as we speak. But how do you not keep playing Luis Guillorme right now? He's hitting 
just under 500. He's hitting 458 right now. His bat is on fire, and his fielding is above average. He's turned five double plays. He's had nine putouts and 15 assists and zero errors. That's clutch. That is clutch. And then, the, but the conversation for Luis Guillorme is McNeil's back. So the Mets kind of got a crowded infield situation. Now, Mets fans are going to say, or, you know, do we want Robinson Cano to play second base? Do you want Guillorme to play second base? I think my feeling is you play Guillorme at second, you DH Robinson Cano. J.D. Davis has played a very good third base, surprisingly. You put Jeff McNeil in left field. Andres Jimenez, who's kind of cooled down a little bit, you know, you keep him as your shortstop. I'm sorry, Ahmed Rosario can just sit on the bench. I know he's been, you know, driving a couple runs, but long term for the Mets, Andres Jimenez is the answer. And then my guy, who's been on fire, and I hate telling, you know, I hate saying this, but Dom Smith is ultimately going to be the utility guy and play every other day or every two days. Which is dumb for a team that, you know. But also a good, pro- a- but also a good problem to have. Yeah, but if you're not winning games, is Exactly. It? Exactly. But as long as, it, but if Luis Guillorme is hitting as he is right now, it's hard to put him in, it's hard to put him on the bench. Mm-hmm. But you can say the same for Dom Smith. So I don't know if it's going to be a split time situation, but I think going forward for Luis Rojas, I think Cano's got to be the DH. He's got to be. You know, he serves really, he's okay. He's not what he once was 10 years ago at second base, and he's aging. So, yeah, and go ahead. The, the, least, the less amount of time he spends in the field is the higher chance that he will not get injured and actually be able to contribute offensively and. I mean, who knows how long this offensive, you know, firepower is going to stay for Cano. I mean, people were saying on Twitter, he looked like 2009 Robinson Cano last night. Right. And this is something, you know, we started to see in the second half of the year last year. Uh, he had a horrible first half. And in the second half, he started to come alive a little bit. And everyone was hoping that they were going to see that Robinson Cano turnover to this year. And so far, you know, it has. He's. Uh, hitting 412 right now and 51 uh, plate appearances, 21 hits, three doubles, four home runs, 13 RBIs, uh, struck out eight times and drew four walks with an OPS of 1.152, um, which is the highest on the team. So he, you could see it when he's not in the lineup. I mean, they, uh, you know, in Philly, you know, they could have used some of that uh, offensive output that uh, Cano could give. And, you know, last night he contributes two home runs and, you know, they go, they explode for 11 runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Cano, me personally, I don't know about you, but I think Cano's just going to thrive in the DH position. He's played deep, he's played time at DH before in the American League with the, with the Mariners and the Yankees before that. I mean, he's yeah. no stranger to the DH. So it makes the most sense because Cano has had the, probably the most experience on the Mets in the American League that you play him at DH, that he can be the everyday DH for this Mets team. You know, occasionally. Yeah, it, Go ahead. It's not like you know anyone can just play DH because if you think about it, um, you know you're sitting for the entire game other than your three, four, five plate appearances. And I think Cano so thrives. Thrive. He thrives being a DH because he knows the position. Yeah, you need someone. You know, not everyone can DH because they can't like stay in the game. Mm-hmm. And you know, granted. Robbie Cano did play in that Philly series and he's one of the only ones that actually hit the ball on Sunday. He went two for four and no one else could hit. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he has been playing, he played DH in that series. So, I mean, I'm a firm believer that 
not everyone can DH because, you know, it might be hard to, you know, stay warm, stay in the game when you're just sitting there other than, you know, you're on deck and then at the plate. So like you said, I, I, I agree that, you know, if you have experience hitting as a DH, that's pretty, that's valuable for, for this team because especially for the national league team that, you know, it's the first year ever that they've had a DH in that league. And it's going to help them going forward because, you know, we don't know about next year what's going to go on if there's going to be a DH in the National League. But eventually, the full-time, the full-time DH is coming to the National League. Now, whether, yeah. whatever you think about that argument, uh, you know, we're American League guys, so I really don't care. I don't like – people like to see the strategy, old-school baseball. I get that and everything. But, you know, it's 2020. Let's make the game more exciting for, and make it appealing to younger fans, and I think the DH probably does that a little bit. Um mm-hmm. So let's move on to the Mets' bullpen. Wow, have they been good. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, uh, they've only given up three runs in this Philly series. And the only, you know, the only blows were, you know, Lugo giving up the game-winning hit in game one to Harper. And then Jared Hughes, who's got a plus-two ERA, giving up the two runs to extend the Phillies' lead in game three. But other than that, guys like Batanzas, Wilson, and even everyone's favorite Met, Juris Familia, They've all been good. It's really refreshing. Like, <laughs> I really don't have anything much else to say about the bullpen. It's just that they're not, they're doing exactly what I said that they should do. They just be, they just need to be good enough not to blow games. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's not their fault that Steven Matz gives up, you know, five, six, seven runs a game. And yeah. they can't put the runs across the plate. They can only uh, make sure that doesn't happen. So. That's a good thing for the Mets when their bullpen is not the center of the of the conversation. Exactly, and because I, everyone thought that everyone thought that the Mets' offense was going to be like you know firepower this year, and you know we haven't talked about Alonzo yet, but Pete, you know, yes, he's coming around a little bit, but he's still only hitting two forty one. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, hopefully, the two home runs he hit last night will give him a little bit of juice. But yeah, and that national was it the Nationals the last uh, series they played at home when he. Uh, started to get a little hot too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were, I think it was last week saying, is it time to hit the panic button on Pete Alonso? And, you know, this also happened with Gary Sanchez. We said, yes, hit the panic button. And he all of a sudden just has his power back, but big, big fans of the show. Um, yeah. Uh, um, but you know, Pete is starting to show some life, which this offense desperately needs needs because he's going to be that X factor that hopefully will be able to drive runs in. But we also have to look at this argument. We said in the be- in the top of the show that the Marlins are putting minor leaguers out there. So mm-hmm. is P and this can go the same thing for Gary Sanchez, which we're talking about right now, going up against the Red Sox bullpen. Is he just taking advantage of bad pitching? Hey, but that you can only hit what's put out in front of you. Yeah, that's true. But when it's when it comes time to go up against the elite bullpens in the National League the better bullpens in the National League, I should say, is Pete going to get those big hits? Or is he going to go back into the little shell that he's been in all season long? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's a you know legitimate question because he has been pretty much down this year. I don't know if it's a fact of, you know, these guys are starting to figure him out. They've had an offseason to watch tape, and, you know, especially now when they figured out that they were only going to play divisional opponents and then, you know, AL East uh, opponents – they could pretty much, you know, start focusing on just these guys mm-hmm. when you don't have to worry about every single team in the league. So that's even more time for them to study these, you know, big bats in the division and the teams they're going to play. So 
I mean, people were talking about that last year too, that people were starting to figure Pete out and figure out how to get him out. So it's going to be uh, up to him and the coaching staff to start working on adjustments and uh, just, just work on make sure that he's not chasing pitches. And he, you know, he talked about that he was getting a little too like, you know, giddy at the plate. He wasn't, you know, settling in and looking comfortable and, you know, the past couple games against the nationals. And then last night he's looked more comfortable uh, in the box. What is your, what's your feeling on Brandon Nimmo right now? You know, getting hits, you know, not really driving in a lot of runs, hitting for average, but getting on base is his is kind of his specialty right now. Have having an on base of four thirty six, but yeah, I mean the OP, the OBP uh, for, of four twenty three is fantastic. Oh, I mean yeah. that you know you're going to get that from Brandon Nimmo. He draws a lot of walks and he hustles down there like he's beating out a ground ball, mm-hmm. and Mets fans love it. Yeah, but that you know you're going to get that from Brandon Nimmo, and you do need guys on base. Uh, but it's not his fault that his teammates cannot get a hit to get him to the plate and move him around the bases. Um, I would like to see him hit for a little more average. I mean, also 20 strikeouts in 78 at bats. Uh, He he is known for striking out a little bit too, even though he draws a lot of walks, but you know, right now the Mets need as many people on base and hope to get a a clutch hit here or there to drive him in. Uh So I think Nimmo, you know, he's that perfect, like one, either a leadoff guy or a nine hitter, because, you know, if he's on base in the nine hole, you bring up McNeil, Conforto, Alonzo, Dom Smith, Cano, like there's some potential there to really get, get a rally going. If, you know, say Nimmo draws a two out walk and then you roll over the lineup to the top. Right. That's and, a good point. you know, we didn't talk about McNeil, but the, the Mets dodged a huge bullet by him not being out for a long time, because yeah. first of all, that catch was unreal on Blake. That was, Aaron that was Aaron Hicks-esque, got to say. Yeah, against the Twins. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you're like, holy crap, what a catch. And then, oh, no. Oh. And then, you know, they take forever to get the card out there. And he tries to walk off and obviously can't. So then he got mm-hmm. carted off. And people are worried, oh, no, is this his season over? And, you know, this is going to carry over to next year because we're you know, so late into the, se- into the normal season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I turned the game on last night and – this is the first Mets game I've watched since that, you know, catch. I was like, what the heck is Jeff McNeil doing yeah. in the lineup? Because, you know, I, I just figured that it was going to be at least an IL stint of some sort. Yeah. Exactly. Even though when they announced a knee contusion or I, I think that was the official injury, they said, you, I, I figured they were going to take it a little easy considering, you know, he got carted off. Like it must've been a pretty serious injury at the, at the time, or maybe he was just kind of a shock or whatever was but, going I mean, on. But considering the fact that he's back in the lineup is huge. Considering their second to last place, I don't think the Mets can really afford to have Jeff McNeil yeah, take it easy. You know, I wish they, I, I know it's probably better off that he would, and he's probably still playing a little hurt. He's probably not a hundred percent if you think about it, but, but, yeah. and I don't know if this bothers Mets fans, but it bothers me. Why is Billy Hamilton on this team? He, like, again, not brought here for offense, right? But one for 16, I think he, I think he got his first freaking RBI and, you know, wasn't brought here for offense, right? But his defense and his base running, okay? But here's the thing. You can't steal a base when you got a non-base of 105. Bad. Bad, wow. bad, bad. I I I don't know if, I don't know why that pisses me off, but when I see Billy Hamilton in center field, I just want to cry. 
Yeah, like granted, he's had like two, two or three of his at bats. You know, guys have made very good plays on. Uh, I think he got robbed on a line drive that he hit like straight to someone, and then someone dove and caught it and robbed him of another hit. But you know, the Mets trade for this guy, and you think, all right, maybe he can. He's never been the greatest hitter. No. Let's be honest. He can't even get on freaking base, no. like you said. He's known for his freaking speed. Yeah, all he's doing is freaking speeding back to the dugout and sitting <laughs> on left bench because all he does is freaking strike out and freaking ground out. So obviously, the Billy Hamilton. So obviously, Billy Hamilton bothers you. It's not just me. <laughs> he's one for eighteen <laughs> with a one RBI. He's hitting 056. <laughs> like what are we doing? Uh, what did Brody give up for that? Was it cash? A pitching prospect. <laughs> It would probably turn out to be freaking Garrett Cole. Probably. <laughs> Billy Hamilton. The, the, the guy pops up more than I've ever seen in my life before. I, oh, unbelievable. I just, the only, like I said, the only speed he's showcasing is how fast he can get back to the dugout with his freaking <laughs> tail between his legs. Yeah, he's like, oh, all right, I'm here. <laughs> I, might as well, I might as well go up there. <laughs> give well, it, I'll give it the best that I got, Luis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> well, he has two stolen bases for the... Uh, for the 100 on base percentage that he uh, has to offer. So every time he gets on base, he's probably stealing a base, but uh, not on base very often. No. If you see Billy Hamilton, does not know his role. If you see Billy Hamilton on base during a Mets game, throw a party, take a picture of it. Cause it won't won't last very long. Won't see that. Oh boy. But you know, the Mets are in Miami taking on the Marlins for four games. I'm just going to put it out there. The Mets have to at least win three out of four. Have to, like <laughs> yeah, they have to get on track. And then before, and then after that, they play our New York Yankees for three games, and then they play the Marlins again. So very knowing the Mets, they'll probably end up somehow like sweeping the Yankees or getting two out of three. Don't say that. I mean, <laughs> it would be good for the Mets, you know, but uh, not good for my psyche or our psyche. Let's put it that way. But at ten and fourteen, the Mets are kind of at a. I don't, I kind of have to say a crossroads here because these next three series, if they don't get going, they got to start looking at, you know, next season. <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to say the Mets season is over right now because it's not. And it's not going to take a lot to make the playoffs this year because considering it's an expanded playoff format. But I don't know what to really expect going forward for them. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I've said from the beginning, this is the hardest bubble if you want to put it that way in the major leagues Mm -hmm. the the two east divisions are you know stacked especially with the orioles and the marlins actually somehow winning games Mm -hmm. and the fact that the nationals are last in the nl east is you know something else too granted they've been dealing with injuries uh the juan soto covid positive test and steven strasburg getting thrown out from the stands then also getting on the il and you know and then max scherzer leaving his one start you know after one inning and you know, they've gone through their own trials uh, over there in Washington, not been the greatest uh, follow-up season to a World Series championship. But the fact that they're in last place uh, just shows, you know, how competitive this whole section of the major leagues is. Mm-hmm. All right, so that'll do it for the Mets. Now it's time to talk about our still-beloved New York Yankees, even though they are very, you know, it's a very frustrating time right now now it's hard to say it's hard to say when they're six and 16 and six in first place in the american league east okay 
Two games up on Tampa Bay, three games up on Baltimore, six straight wins. How can I possibly complain after they just swept Boston and are 10-0 against the Red Sox this year? I'll I'll tell you why. The damn injury bug. That's what. We're cursed. We're cursed with injuries. First first off, we talked about this a little bit. Stanton last, uh, you know, two weeks ago with the grade one hamstring strain, three to four weeks. Again, they've been playing around. You know, he was, play, he was playing very good. Hitting 293, he was playing well. And they've been playing around at DH, you know, with Ford, Luke Voigt, who's on fire right now, and your boy Clint Frazier, who mm-hmm. we will touch on extensively in a couple minutes. But not only is it Stanton, now it's Judge. Well, of course. But there's, a little, but there's a little bit of a story here. A calf strain placed on the 10-day IL immediately. He was yeah, playing. after Aaron Boone says he's fine, he just took him out for maintenance. Aaron, don't don't freaking BS don't us, lie. Aaron. Don't lie. You'll you will get crushed, Aaron. Mm-hmm. The the New York the New York fans, if you freaking BS us again, he's gonna be under some scrutiny. Yeah. Just if he's hurt, just tell us. You don't need to freaking beat around the bush and say, Oh no, he's fine. We just took him out for maintenance. He's under wear and tear from seventeen games. What is he, fifty five years old? Exactly. Oh, the drop turf took a toll on him. He's a 26-year-old, or however old he is, professional athlete. Took three games on turf should not mean that he has wear and tear that needs to go on the IL for 10 days. So he's basically blaming over. He's basically blaming the dump known as Tropicana Field, right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically. Dump field. It, it, it is. It's horrible. Even though they made they made a fantastic TikTok the other day that you sent me. Yeah, was which fair. was a which was a one. If you didn't see it, go on the Rays. I even tweeted. We all know the trop is a dump, but at least the the Rays put out some good. That content. was a that was a qual that was some quality content there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they made the trop look actually really nice. If you notice go. how they only showed the roof though. Yeah, exactly, and not the not the one fan sitting in each section. Yeah, but you know, as you said, Boone takes him out in game one against the Braves. Says he's fine, you know, for maintenance and whatnot, and then he ends up being hurt. And then, two days ago, Judge says in front of the media, he's 100%. He's fine. Yeah. He could have played the day before. See, I'm fine with this because I don't want to screw around with him. No. He has such a bad injury history that, I mean, we're still winning somehow. I mean, my boy Clint Frazier is the reason why. but mm-hmm. uh, One of the reasons why. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can't screw around with this guy when it comes to injuries. No. It's unbelievable. He could literally die for... I don't dive. You can get hurt quite easily. He could literally like try and round the base. Just uh, unfortunately roll his ankle and be done for the year. Somehow he could be, you're right. But yeah. And, but the fact that Aaron Boone just BS Yankee fans, yeah. you, you don't you do that. Not do that. Don't do that. Aaron. No, don't hurt my feelings. Aaron. Don't lie to me, Aaron. <laughs> but because everyone took everyone was just exhaling like okay like why is he you know being taken out for wear and tear reasons when you know that was one thing i don't know if a lot of people talked about aaron boone did not manage that game very well bringing tyler wade in and then he also brought in a couple other defensive subs and then you know it was only a two-run game in the ninth inning like like what happens if the if i forget who we were playing um probably atlanta i think it was the braves yeah, yeah. What if they came back and suddenly, you know, it's a 6-6 game going into the ninth inning or whatever, and, you know, somehow the Yankees lose because he mismanaged that game because, right. you know, and then would he have BSed us again saying, oh, he only took Judge out for, you know, maintenance reasons and he'll be fine. And 
like he would have gotten absolutely crushed. Yeah, he would have. And then last night, you could say it was weird too. You know, uh, Miguel Andujar playing left field. He's he, he is, blows. He's awful. He and blows. I, and I get I get that and everything, but Boone taking Andujar right out. You could go either way with that. You could say, all right, you know, he's not any good. Put Talkman out there, which is fine with me. But the other the other part of the you know the other side is why not let Andujar get some more reps out there? So I mean, you can make an argument either way. I'm totally yeah, okay. If he needs to he, get more reps, he should be in the alternate location. Exactly. Exactly. He was just down there for however many days, and clearly that didn't work. No, did not. But you know, the and a- his bat is also horrible oh, right now. Terrible. He's in 17 at bats. He has one hit. He has a worse on base percentage than Billy Hamilton does. <laughs> <laughs> he's hitting 0.59, and the only that's the only time he's been on base. Yep. He has an, an average on-base percentage and slugging percentage of 0.59. Not good, Miguel. At least he's putting the bat on the ball. He only has three strikeouts and 17 at-bats. But how about you find some grass? Yeah, exactly. But the, uh, the moral of the story is the Yankees are taking extra precautions with Judge. He begged not to go on the IL. So I guess I would rather the Yankees be careful with Judge rather than just put him out there because he says that he's good. Because athletes do this all the time. They say that they're good, and then they're not. So... But here's the thing, you know, he it might not be 10 days, it could be 10 days, he could be back sooner rather than later. Who knows? But I think this next one is the biggest hit, is DJ LeMahieu. The sprained thumb, goes on the IL, he's going to be out two to three weeks. You got a second opinion, apparently, so now we know for sure it's two to three weeks. He, again, off to one of the better starts in baseball, hitting 411 with eight RBIs and an OPS of 990. And, th- and you know what the freak thing was? It happened swinging the bat, game two against Boston. Like, Yeah, that's why the Yankees are cursed with injuries. Exactly. It's unbelievable. And, and then, of course, the not ideal situation is that Tyler Wade is now playing second base every day. Yeah, fantastic. So, Him and his 200 average. Yeah. But let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the real good stuff. The next, the beautiful thing about the Yankees right now is that they're deep. And can we please uh, clap for Brian Cashman real quick? Because I don't think you know he gets enough praise that he does, that he deserves right now at this point. Red Thunder, the next man, it's unbelievable. Up, he's unbelievable. Red hot, no pun intended. As of I think, even his glove is fantastic. People it, ripped his defense last year. He's made some fantastic plays. Now, in listen, right now listen, his defense deserved to get ripped last year. Let's let's be real. Let's be honest. This year he's been great. This year he's been fantastic. I mean, two home runs and eight RBIs. I think he's now. Did he play last night? I don't remember. Um, he's hitting four forty four right now. He's killing it, and he is the energy that the Yankees need with Judge being out of the lineup. And early, and as you said before, early on defensively in right field, he has been very impressive. And if he keeps hitting like this, it's going to be hard to ignore Clint Frazier. And here, and I'll say it for you. If the Yankees ever send him down again, it's a crime. They're they're literally morons, literal <laughs> morons. That dude belongs nowhere near AAA or an alternate site. Yep. I tweeted out the other night. Um, I think I, I said something like Clint Frazier's name does never deserves to be in the same sentence as is being sent down to AAA or is being optioned to the alternate site ever again. Yep. Like. 
what else do you need to see from the kid? He's improved defensively. He can hit the freaking cover off the baseball. I mean, first at bat, when he comes up, home run. Yep. I mean, you should have called that. I literally called that. I said, he's literally going to hit on. I didn't call the first at bat. But one of my friends texted me and says, are you ready for the Clint Frazier error in right field tonight? And I said, it'll be okay because he'll hit a dinger anyway and he'll make up for it. What did yeah. he do? First at bat. And he went, what, five, four for four? Three for four. And three, then he had a three for four with a double. Yeah. And then he had a five RBI night the other night. Yeah. Went, like, th- went three for three that night with a home run and five RBIs and a double. Like, he already has a. He already has the same amount of RBIs as Gary Sanchez does mm-hmm. in uh, 44 less plate appearances. Yep. So, listen, Scott, you've been right all along about Clint. So, so you know, be happy about that. Yeah, be happy about that. But I've also been right about Talkman this whole time because he has been consistent as any Yankee right now to this point. You know, mm-hmm. the, the RBI numbers, the home run numbers are, you know, not quite there, but he's still doing the little things right. And that's what I love about Mike Talkman. You know, he's doing enough to get on base. And unlike the Mets, the Yankees drive in runs on base, which is fantastic to see. And then, you know, he's able to score runs on base for this team. And then he's and then now I think he's solidifying a spot, you know, to be an everyday player in the lineup. I mean, these last three games, the last three games against Boston, and I don't know about, uh, let me pull up the most recent stuff from last night. Um, yeah, these last three games against Boston, you know, uh, three for five with uh, three for five with four RBIs in game one against Boston when Garrett Cole was on the hill. Fantastic. One for three, you know, with a double. And then he goes two for four in game three. And, you know, but the thing is, he's getting on base. And that's, that's what I think Talkman does well. He's not going to be a big RBI guy. He's not going to be a big home run guy. The guy gets on base, and he steals bases. So how, mm-hmm. could, you, how could you not want that guy in the lineup every night? He didn't, he didn't start last night, but came in for Andujar once he screwed up because that's the guy you rely on to play defense and get you outs. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever any of the guys who are – injured come back and is the first guy down i mean tyro estrada even hit a home run is, last night <laughs> yeah he's had seven plate appearances in five games he's hitting 429 he's had he's three for seven in his seven plate appearances um with a home run and two rbis i mean it's another guy who's taking advantage of you know his opportunities we saw it last year in a little piece too that you know he came up and you know he you know really hit the ground running mm-hmm. so there's a lot of guys who take their opportunities on this team. And, you know, if, if you're in Duhart, I think the Yankees just have to trade him. Yeah. Play like hopefully his bat, you know, shows up. Um, say we say you need a pitcher at the deadline here. Yeah. I think he should be a main piece in that trade. Sure. Granted, I don't know how much value he has right now because he hasn't looked good at all. He's just been I mean, bad granted, all he's around. pulling. Yeah. He's played, you know, a different position. He can't hit which he was known for his rookie year is his bat. But if you look back at his rookie year, he could turn into something really special. And if I were the Yankees, I'd be shopping for a top tier arm to go into the playoffs with at the deadline. And he would be the, the, you know, the headliner of that package. Mm-hmm. Cause everyone is talking about, Oh, Clint Frazier will be the headliner of a, of a top tier pitcher trade. If they trade Clint Frazier, I'm going to riot. Yeah. And I think, majority of the Yankee fan base would as well. Sure. You can't trade a guy like that, especially with, all right, let's be honest. The Yankees probably aren't going to let Aaron judge go when he's a free agent, especially since he has two years of arbitration left as well. Nor do we but want you that. You really in the have first to start. Place. What? Nor do we want that in the first place. Yeah, but 
you have to start asking questions. You have to. Yeah, he's great when he's on the field, but he's hurt for, you know, this is going to be 10 games out of uh, 60. Like, that's a big chunk of the season. And who knows in a 162 again how many games he'd miss, but he misses a majority of the season every single season. He does. Like Clint Frazier, he's had his concussion issue, which, you know, he got – and it really screwed with him for a while because it, it was a really bad concussion. But for the most part, he stays pretty pretty healthy, knock on wood, because granted tonight he'll swing the bat or get hit by a pitch and be put on the freaking IL. But like you have to start asking questions. Are you going to pay this guy $200 million for you know 10 years if he's going to be hurt every season? It's going to be another Giancarlo Stanton like, incident. Mm-hmm. Granted, he is a homegrown Yankee, which you know gives him a little more leeway. But still, like I also think that's the case for a homegrown discount too, though. You know, yeah, it it matters because Glaber Glaber out of all the guys that need to be signed soon. I mean, Glaber we still have a lot of team control on, but you talk about Judge and Gary. I mean, Gary's up in the air every year too. Yeah, um, and Gary's I mean, it's the either first his one. defense. Gary's yeah. the first one. Yeah, it's either his defense is often as bad as on or this year his defense has been a little bit better but his bat has been horrible but now his defense been, hasn't been better enough to say hey he's a very elite defensive catcher well absolutely but it's been better than what he has yes been. for sure and i think that's credit to what they did in spring training of changing his stance mm-hmm. and he's been able to you know block pitches better and frame oh, pitches we got, better we got, and, we got some breaking news hold on oh no it's mets related they have scratched on the IL. They have scratched David no. Peterson from his lot from his start tonight due to left shoulder fatigue. Well, he uh, got taken out of his start last time too because of some sort of arm fatigue. So you know who's up tonight? Freaking uh, Corey Oswalt. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh, I'll have to take him out of the fantasy lineup. <laughs> stuff. Oh, my uh, my fantasy team is literally like the New York Yankees right now. See, I have. See, you better hope. You better start. You know, you better win that league. So you want to play next year and play in my league because I want to play. I have Lemayhu on the IL. I have Acuna on the IL. <laughs> I have freaking Clevenger and Plesac. Those oh, freaking morons oh, down in the oh. alternate freaking site oh. because these idiots went out during freaking Corona. You oh. absolute morons. <laughs> and then I have Tyler Chatwood also on the IL, and I have freaking Tommy Pham who I have no more space for on the IL. And Gene Segura's day to day. I literally don't have a team anymore. Who's healthy on that team? Um, let's see. <laughs> I uh, I have uh, Real Muto, um, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper. I have Clint. I made sure to pick him Good. up as soon as he got called up. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have, I'm have. i 2-0-1. I have not lost yet. I have tied. Right. Um, but, like, what the frick? Tied, Frickin', uh, tied we did not talk about the... Tied in yeah, fantasy tied baseball. categories. Interesting. I, we do 12 categories. We tied 6-6 uh, six, six because I got a quality start from Lucas Giolito on uh, Sunday Night Baseball, and I tied. <laughs> Thank you, Lucas. What uh, we did not talk about on this podcast, Mike Clevenger and freaking Zach Plesak. Idiots. You guys are freaking idiots. You're morons. How dumb could you be? And Clevenger now, if, you be, if anyone's been watching the Trevor Bauer vlog series on Momentum, I think it is. It's his own, like – uh, business or whatever he's been doing uh, vlogs during the COVID season or whatever and I've actually really come to like Trevor Bauer I really would like the Yankees to make a run for him in uh, free agency I don't know if he fits the Yankee mold because he's very outspoken that's and not I, very like proper <laughs> but I'd be I'd be elated if the Yankees signed him but 
he brought up something very, very interesting about Mike Clevenger in, in, uh, in his most recent vlog, I think. Um, he said that Clevenger, if he misses 16 days of MLB service time this season, if he spends 16 days in the alternate site, the Indians get an extra year of arbitration or team control on him. Really? So he his uh, whole theory is that Clevenger is going to spend 16 days or 17 days down in the alternate site, and then they're going to bring him up. <laughs> so That's smart. I mean. You know what? They freaking deserve it. Yeah. They literally put their whole team in danger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole, like, NL and AL Central bubble in danger by going out with their freaking friends in Detroit or wherever the heck they went. Or it wasn't Detroit. I think it was Chicago. And then look, but, at, the, and then look at the Cardinals finally playing. They got to play a freaking doubleheader every day now to get 58 yeah. games in. Yeah, I don't think they're getting 60 games in. No, I don't think there's any chance. No, they're, they're going to try. And, I think it's going to be like 58 or 57 or something And it's like that. so dumb. Imagine they play like 55 games or 50 games and they get in the playoffs because of win percentage. If my team missed the playoffs, imagine the Mets missed the playoffs. They play 60 games and they miss the playoffs because the Cardinals have a better win percentage than they do. You know, even though the Mets have played more games. That sounds like such a Mets situation. That, oh my goodness. Could you imagine Evan Roberts and Joe Beningo (laughs) talking about that? (laughs) But wait, here's the good news. Here's the good news. From the David Peterson, I guess there's there's not any good news that David Peterson, you know, got scratched from his start, but he's actually just placed on the IL. What? <laughs> Drew Smith. Are you kidding? David Peterson has been placed on, this is from the Mets, uh, specifically on Twitter. David Peterson has been placed on the IL uh, to August 14th, the left shoulder soreness. Drew Smith has been recalled. Why he was uh, not, why he was optioned down was my question. He's been their best reliever, hasn't I, he? Exactly. Like uh, ERA-wise? Yeah. Uh, Kilome has been optioned to an alternate training site, and Corey Oswald has been recalled. And we'll make the start tonight. Jeez. So we were just... But yeah, there were, talks about the, there were talks about the Yankees trading for Clevenger this year, maybe, mm-hmm. if the Indians weren't in it. I can pretty much count that out now. So also, get, Clevenger would have to cut his hair, which I don't know if he'd be a uh, fan of. Listen, Cole did it. Cole's, uh, Cole actually has kept it a little long, which is surprising. Yeah, he's like right on the board. He's like borderline. Uh, okay. Yeah, well. He doesn't have the beard, though. I, th- I think the big thing is the beard. Yeah. That as is. long as you don't have the hair like at the shoulders and you don't have a beard, I, I think in this day and age you should be okay. Right. A lot of guys don't like, like think that the Yankees, it's like uh, because we're in 2020, like the year of the, the Karens. Right. People think that uh, the Yankees um, rule about no long hair and facial hair is like controlling them. And, you know, you, you should be able to uh, you should be able to you know express yourselves in the way you want to, which you should. But if you want to play for the greatest sports franchise on Earth, you do what you want to say. Or you do what the franchise says. Otherwise, you can go play for the freaking Baltimore Orioles and rot at the bottom of the major leagues. See, Except see me, if you're in a 60-game season. See, me personally, I like my beard, so... That, that might sounds be- something that I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like my beard too Listen, much, sorry. <laughs> let, I'm, not, I'm not against people expressing themselves right, or whatever. Right. But if you... Just, just do it. <laughs> don't be a Karen and just do it. Uh, Stop being a Garrett Cole, Garrett, <laughs> Garrett Cole. You know, he, he, uh, did, did what he told because he wanted to play for the Yankees. If you want to play for the Yankees, you do what they say. Pretty much the end of that. Pretty much. Stop being a clown. <laughs> <laughs> Clowns don't play for the Yankees now. 
No. But uh, one clown right now. And, uh, oh, dear. Well, I mean, he's been better. Are you talking about Gary? Yes. <laughs> like He's still horrible. 129. 62 at-bats, 30 strikeouts. Yeah, oh, my. Like, he, but the thing is, too, three straight games of the home run. Yeah, some of those were bombs, and he pimped the, the third one against the Red Sox. Yeah, one, one against Atlanta and two against the Red Sox in two games. Like, so you see that, and you're like, wow, Gary's back. But again, like we said before about Pete Alonso, is Gary just taking advantage of the horrible, historically horrible Boston pitching staff? Like, is he going to go up against whoever the Yankees play next? They're playing the Rays, right? The Rays are much better pitching staff than the yeah. Boston Red Sox. So is now is Gary now against Tampa? Is he going to go freaking? Is he going to hit home Probably. runs? Is he going to drive in runs? Probably, Probably not. Probably not. Is he going to strike out a bunch? Probably. So I, I mean, I don't have much to say about Gary, but like, that's the question. People are like, if Romine was still around, he'd be playing every day at this point. And the fact that Eric Kratz had to play last night is embarrassing for Gary. Gary should be embarrassed by that. A 40-year-old minor leaguer just played above Sanchez. Yeah, exactly. Think about that for a second, Yankee fans. Not good. I mean, granted, you know, catchers do need their off day every once in a while, but... Uh, uh, Good at the plate, Olay behind the plate. Pretty much. Not really. He's not good at the plate either. No. He's Olay at the plate and behind the plate. It's Olay. Yeah, the bat is going right past the baseball. No. I... Uh, I, I don't know if there. I mean, again, 60-game season, I don't know how much we're going to take out of this season, but if this is over 162 games, I mean, we can't think about it that way, but if it is, what do the Yankees do with Gary? Like, they're obviously they're not going to yeah. give up on him. I, I'm just going to throw that out the window because, again, homegrown Yankee, you know, came up in 2016. He's the first one, you know, if, you know, to get a contract. But am I, I'm, I don't know if I'm sold to give Gary all that money to strike out a ton and be subpar behind the plate. Yeah. I mean, Brian Cashman has, you know, a track record. I look at Luis Severino and the way that he dealt with that contract. You know, at the time, it looked like the Yankees got a steal on Luis Severino's contract. Right. So maybe Brian Cashman can negotiate some sort of something like that with Gary where, you know, Gary, people said that he's the best hitting catcher in baseball when he's on, which, you know, might be true, but he's not an all around good catcher. He's not like a Buster Posey, you know, back in his prime. Um, He's not even like a real Muto right now. I think real Muto's much better than Gary because he's great. His defense is better. Like, I think that, you know, you could even look at like a Wilson Contreras for the, for the Cubs. You know, he's probably, he might be better than, there's a lot of catchers probably better than Gary Sanchez right now because he's hitting freaking however bad it is, 129. Yeah, like, you can't, you can't have 62 at bats and strike out 30 times. Like, on a, on a 162, uh, I would have to figure, it would take me probably a little bit of time to figure this out, but I'm going to try and figure this out. In a 162 season, I wonder how many strikeouts that would be. Uh, I wouldn't even want to know. Cause I I'm going to pro- try and figure pro- this out. I'd probably throw up. But enough about Garrett. Uh, now let's get to some some stuff that's maybe maybe actually turning a corner. And that's the back half of this rotation. James Paxton, for instance. 
Second consecutive good start game two against the Red Sox. Pitched five innings, gave up three runs. Gave up the early three runs in the third, but then was really great after that. You know, I couldn't complain about, you know, Paxton being that bad a game two against the Red Sox. But, uh, you know, the Yankees need him. I'm just going to, you know, we've been saying this since, you know, since the season started. They need James Paxton to do that. But we cannot expect him anymore to be all worldly. Again, 31, velocity's down, probably down for his career, let's be honest. It's not going to return all of a sudden to 96, 97 miles an hour. It's just not. I just don't see that happening from James Paxton. But I'll take a quality. He hit 95 the other night. But I'll take a, yeah, okay. So, but I'll take a quality start like that for James Paxton mm-hmm. this year. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'll take that. Now he's up now he's down to a 704 ERA. It's I mean, down. <laughs> I mean it's better than his first start which uh you know started out a 27 ERA. It's better than that. Oh jeez. <laughs> but welcome to Rick Porcello land. Oh well, yeah, or who or who was that one pitcher? Oh, Corey Oswald who's pitching tonight. He's got like a 13 something ERA. Steven Matz. Oh jeez. But you know I'm I'll you know I'll take a quality start from Paxton like that. And then Jay Happ. Mm-hmm who, you know, had his best outing of the year last year, uh, last uh, two nights ago. Two and a third, pitched five and a third, gave up three hits and a run. Listen, I'm not expecting anything from Jay Happ. Nothing. Close to nothing. But I just, you know, the Yankees just need him to be serviceable. Can you pitch, like, five, you know, five innings, maybe give up two to three runs? Because the offense is going to be there no matter what. The Yankees are going to score runs no matter what. This is not a team that's going to be shut out a lot, if at all. But they just need James Paxton to be somewhat decent. Yeah, and, you know, it was also interesting because Hap, uh, in his post-game interview the other night, talked about his conversations with Aaron Boone about him being scratched or whatever uh, about that. And he said that, you know, one of the conversations was not did not go very well because I'm assuming he was pretty pissed that he got skipped. Oh. You know, maybe that's a little bit of motivation for him this was his first start since being skipped. Maybe, you know, that's what he needed to, you know, light a fire under him. And hopefully, you know, he can continue to be that way because, you know, there's no going to be, there's not going to be any Herman this year. No Severino. Um, you know, do we want to trust a Clark Schmidt and Mike King, uh, Davey Garcia? I don't think any of, other than Mike King, I don't think Schmidt or Davey Garcia were really going to see this year. Um, well, I think Michael you know, King is, I th- we saw Michael King last night, actually. He's, I think he might be yeah, in, the bull, in the bullpen. Coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, starting a game, I don't think we're going to see him, you know, for unless it's an opener situation and Chad Green can't go for whatever reason. Right. Who's but, been, who has been phenomenal this yeah, year. Mm-hmm. He has been yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. But, you know, the Yankees might need Hap, you know, coming down the stretch. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, Garrett Cole, you know, can't pitch every game unfortunately and i feel like he's been pitching a lot because of all the cancellations and that kind of stuff but you know the yankees you know i mean tanaka's looked good as well i mean i think it's about time that aaron boone starts to stretch him out a little bit how many times is he going to pitch fantastic and then get taken out after 60 pitches i don't know how's he going to build himself up if he continuously only pitches 60 pitches i understand you want to be kind of easy with him because you know he's had elbow issues in the past or whatever like that but I feel like you're supposed to, you know, gradually increase. And I feel like he has not been doing that. No, hasn't. The first night he pitched, what, like 45, 50 pitches, and he was fantastic through three and whatever innings. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, his, I think he started three games. And he, uh, 
I feel like, you know, Aaron Boone hasn't really allowed him to uh, just like he's only extend he's himself. only he's only pitched 11 and two thirds innings in three games. Like, yeah, like that's that's not even four innings a start. He's in in four in three starts. He's thrown 176 pitches. Yeah, how many pitches is that? Uh, I'm going to say 176, 176. It's 58 pitches a start. Yeah. Or 59. If you want to round up. Yeah. That's not even like a, that's not, sometimes that's not even half. No. I mean, granted, you don't really see that anymore. If guys throwing a hundred and however many pitches, unless they have a perfect game, but that's just over half of what you expect. You expect to pitch a starting pitcher to at least throw a hundred pitches. Yep. Maybe not in today's day and age, but uh, to me, you expect a starting pitcher to at least throw 100 pitches. All right, exactly. And you should be you should be able to do that in a shortened season. Like Aaron Boone, let him like you know pitch a little farther into a game, please. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. It, it's just this comes up too that Tanaka is going to be a free agent after this year, and maybe the Yankees already have plans to resign him. Maybe. I mean, I think so because he really. A lot of people thought he was going to opt out of his contract. What was it? Two seasons ago. This is the second year of his opt in. I believe. I think so. People thought he was going to opt out, and he, you know, talked about how much he liked being a Yankee and wanted to be here. So he opted into, you know, I guess maybe a lesser contract. People thought he would be able to get more. So I think if the Yankees come back with a reasonable offer for him, he's going to resign here because yeah. this is the team that brought him over from Japan. He's only been here, you know, he's only been here in his MLB career. Yeah, I think the Yankees, if they offer him a reasonable contract, and I do not see why, because the playoff Tanaka is a thing. I mean, regular season Tanaka be, right now is a thing. But yes, but playoff Tanaka is a thing. Yes. The most important time for the Yankees, if they miss the playoffs, someone, the whole franchise needs to be blown up from the bottom up. <laughs> but they're going to make the playoffs. Tanaka needs to be there for the playoffs. There's a reason why he pitches important games in the playoffs because he is just that good. Mm-hmm. He needs to be re-signed just for the playoffs alone, in my opinion. Like he's not he's not the greatest regular season pitcher at the time. No. He has like his he, bad he, starts he, he here. He gives and there. up his share of home runs. Like, the, yes. like that, but that's just Tanaka. That's him. Yeah, but in the playoffs he figures it out. Right. He is and, and Yankee fans love him. Yeah. If I he's gone there unless it's uh, for like signing like a Bauer and someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else is out there, but a Bauer and some, you need to resign Tanaka. You have to. I think they should go after Bauer even if they resign Tanaka. Sure. I mean, you, they have the highest payroll in baseball for a reason. Yeah, but um, I figured out this guys. whole. Uh, I figured out this whole Gary Sanchez uh, strikeout mm-hmm. thing. Um, he has one point five seven strikeouts per game right now. Right. Uh, um, hold on. Let me just double check that again. Yes, 1.57 strikeouts per game right now. If you times that by 162, granted he wouldn't play 162, so let's do 1.57. Do like 150. Uh, yeah, I'll think of 155. Yeah, sure. Or I'll do 150. That sounds like a 1.57 times 150 would be 235 strikeouts this season. That would break the all-time record for strikeouts in a, in a season uh, by Mark Reynolds in 2009. 223 strikeouts he had in a season. Gary would beat that by 12 strikeouts. I mean, granted, I don't know if he'd play 150 because I feel like that's a lot for a catcher. Could be. But DH, he could DH and stuff like that. So, you know, we'll give him a couple off days here and there. Maybe he gets hurt or whatever. He doesn't reach that. But 150, I think, is a fair number for him to reach. 235 and a half strikeouts. So, say like 236. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that is horrific. Yep. So a lot of storylines going on with the Yankees right now, specifically the big three, DJ, Giancarlo, Judge. Um, DJ going to be out for two to three weeks, so expect him back then. Judge Judge might be the first one back, <laughs> you know, uh, off this 10-day IL. But uh, I'll probably go right back on it, knowing him. But let's uh, let's be honest. We complained a lot for a team that's first place in the American. Yeah, and hasn't lost a game technically at home. They lost a yeah. home game on the road, but they have not lost in Yankee Stadium yet. Uh, yeah, we complain a lot. Which for people a- are kind of freaking out about. The Yankees are saying they've never lost. They haven't lost a game at home yet. And then people are always like, "Oh, they lost a home game, and it was in Citizens Bank Park." You know what that is? That's the haters. That's just yeah. the haters. The Red Sox are freaking terrible. Oh my! God. Holy crap! Six and seventeen. And you know what? Holy I go crap. on just because I hate the Red Sox, and you know you hate the Red Sox just as much as I do. I go on Red Sox Twitter after a you know after the Yankees beat them. <laughs> the comments are all ruthless Yankee fans. Like I yeah. feel like there are zero Red Sox fans. Like when they lost the game and Jay Happ was pitching, the comments <laughs> hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical. Even uh, Jared Carabas, known uh. He calls himself a baseball, uh, a, ba- a national baseball reporter. Yeah, right. Just because he's a troll and sure. likes to do that. He's a Red Sox homer. Ugh. He can he, he can't even watch them. He says they're literally non-competitive. This oh. is the most non-competitive team he's ever watched in his life. He says they're just not a good like. They're horrible. They Their got, pitching is un, unbelievably oh, atrocious. Like you got your pieces like JD and, and Bogarts and Devers, who has been just like who's never been good defensively. <laughs> But, like, it's still in the lineup because he hits Jackie Bradley Jr. too. But, oh, like minor le- minor leaguers up there for their pitching staff. I, uh. <laughs> Horrible. They uh, Remember that I think it was last week I brought up um, they had to keep some guy in their rotation because they literally had no one else better. That was, uh, Ron Rennick, <laughs> the, the manager eight. said that. When the manager says yes. that, you know it's freaking rough. Yeah. Uh, I think one, one last thing that we talk about baseball and then sure. we can – Bring in Ranger Joe here. Yeah. What do you think about this whole Tatis Grand Slam BS? Listen. Because I know what I, I believe. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of the most exciting young players in the game. Okay? For an irrelevant franchise other than Manny Machado. Okay? I'm actually really glad you brought this up. I wasn't going to bring this up because this really pisses me off to no end. Enough with the stupid unwritten rules in baseball. If the guy wants to swing 3-0 and up by 100, and he hits a grand slam, you're already down by 100. Who cares if you're down by 104 at that point? Who gives a shit? Good for you, Fernando Tatis. Okay, granted, he was like, oh, I apologize because I missed the uh, take signal. You don't have to apologize for anything, sir. Don't apologize for Don't apologize for being great. And the fact is, this is the this is the bad part. The Padres manager defended the Rangers after the Rangers pitcher threw at Machado three times. That man should be fired. That dude's a freaking idiot. How do you how do you go against he's I would say he's the most exciting young player in baseball. Tatis. Fernando Tatis Jr. is gonna be an absolute freaking star. Mm -hmm. He could be the next Mike Trout, even though he's not playing center field, but he could be the next Mike Trout in terms of star power. Did you see the first home run he hit was a laser? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, he had two grand slams last night, didn't he? Uh, no, the first one was a three-run homer, I think. But oh, I thought I saw somewhere he had two grand slams. No, the grand but... slam was the one that was controversial. I yeah. saw that. I go, without even like seeing what the situation was about, I go, how do you hit a controversial home run? 
Like, and then, here, newsflash to the pitcher, throw a better freaking pitch on 3-0 if you don't want it to be freaking hit into the moon. And yeah, that's Just a, throw a better pitch. Yeah. You, you, don't throw a lollipop down 3-0 just like, oh, woe is us. We're down 13 there or however much runs because we suck. Yep. Uh, you know, he won't swing because he's a good guy. No, applaud you, Fernando Tatis yeah, exactly. Jr. Applaud you because you're not a freaking Karen in baseball. That no. oh, the unwritten rules. Oh no, my feelings See? are hurt. The unwritten rules. Throw the- at Manny Machado's freaking dome and potentially hit him and ruin his career because he hit a grand slam on a pitcher who freaking sucks and doesn't want to throw and threw it right down the middle. Three out. That's my. Oh, ar- I'm sorry. That, that's my argument. If you don't want him to hit I'm a grand, sorry sl- that you suck. If you don't want him to hit a grand slam off you, throw a better pitch. Yeah. 3-0 doesn't mean you could just lollipop one down the middle. No. If it was a 3 nothing game, would you have thrown it right down the middle no. on 3-0? No. So, you know, if you're a real competitor and you're a professional athlete and you want to show that you're the best, why down 10 runs or however many runs you were down, would you throw it right down the middle? Exactly what I, th- exactly what I was thinking. I'm glad we agree on this because this, these unwritten rules in baseball are bullshit. Like, it's 2020. It's Can we just play the game? Can we just play the game? Like en- like enough with the oh sign stealing is illegal but it's not and then oh you can sign you can steal signs from second base but I mean okay I agree with this steal signs all you want from second base if the catcher you know is holding it up high saying oh we're gonna throw a fastball steal the freaking sign sure but if you want to use a camera then that's screwed up yes and absolutely. speaking of cameras stealing signs with cameras thank goodness the Astros suck <laughs> oh yeah. Jose Altuve is freaking terrible. Yeah. I, he's hitting like 170, and him freaking moping back to the bullpen or bullpen dugout. Uh, maybe he should pitch. Maybe he'd be better at that now because you know he would actually know what was coming. See, I haven't even I haven't paid attention to the Astros at all because they're not worth my time. But the only reason I pay attention is the, the 2020 Astros shame tour on Twitter mm. posts every single bad thing the Astros do, and it's fantastic. Just wait till next year; they're going to get their. their a uh, fair share of uh, fan I'm booing. Gonna, I'm going to throw baseballs at them. <laughs> Everyone's going to bring a trash can. See that? See the Jose Altuve thing hitting 176. Love that. But you know what I hate though is that Alex Bregman is hitting 267. <laughs> I wish that was worse. Yeah. Well, yeah. That that's Correa hitting. Correa is hitting 304. Oh dang it! Yeah, exactly. But What's I, Springer hit? Springer's hitting like 172. 200, even. Oh, maybe he he picked it up a little bit. Good job, George. But uh, what's their pitching staff like? It's not very good, is it? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, they, Ver, Ver, Verlander's out, so forget about that. Yeah, Lance McCuller. Right. Lance McCullers has a ERA of over five. Well, that's good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they don't have a. Oh yeah. I was about to see Zach Ranky's name. I go. He's not on the team though anymore. Um. Yeah. Where's he now? I don't remember, actually. No, he is on the Astros. He's he on the Astros still. Yeah. I don't see his name here. Is he hurt? He's. I don't think so. Are you sure? Yeah. Interesting. Does Yahoo Let's Sports see. not support Zach Greinke? <laughs> Maybe not. Zach Greinke. Has he played this year? Oh, he's played four games. He's got a 2.53 uh, RA. He's oh, one, that's he's good one for Zach. Nine, 18 strikeouts. I didn't see his name over there. Anyway. All right. Oh, wait. Since uh, before we break, this is a very long baseball segment, an hour and 11 minutes. Look at us. Um, <laughs> thoughts on Didi, your buddy? Uh, he should be a Yankee again because Glaber continuously commits errors at second base or at a shortstop. Yeah. 
Not great. So that that's that's my thoughts. Hitting two ninety five. He should he should have never left, and he should still be here. Hitting two ninety five. Good for you, Didi. I still I like is, I like to root for him still. Yeah. Oh yeah. Didi's Didi was my favorite Yankee when he was on the team, and he's probably my not favorite non-Yankee now. Because how can you not like Didi? See, my favorite. No, I mean, I I agree with you. Totally agree with you. But everyone and everyone and my mother knows my favorite. My favorite non-Yankee is Bryce Harper. He's fantastic. Love the guy. <laughs> He's a, that's a polarizing figure there. Yes, he is. I wish he was on my team instead of John Carlos Stanton. Well, there was always that uh, <laughs> dream, and then uh, signed for Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, well, can't get everything you want, fortunately. All yeah, right. Even if we're the New York Yankees, we can't get everything we want. Yeah, I guess so. All right, after like an a hour. catcher who can hit the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a shortstop that doesn't make six errors the most in Major League Baseball. But I still love you, Glaber. Yes, love Glay Bay. Love you, Glay Bay. All right, after an hour and 12 minutes, we will finally take our first break. When we come back, we still have a bunch of crap to talk about. Jets training camp is open. Crap, <laughs> <laughs> uh, crap because Jets training camp has started. Yeah, and uh, not off- injuries galore already. Yeah, not off to a great start. Two, so we'll get two days that. of training camp, seven soft tissue injuries. We're off to a good start. Love that. Uh, but some good stuff in the middle of all that. Um, the Islanders are up three games to none, and they play game four tonight. Hopefully they can... Uh, uh, get the sweep tonight against the Capitals. I almost couldn't put words together there, but that's okay. Um, and then Scott's are hard. English is a hard language. It is. And then Scott's Brooklyn Nets uh, teased us all last night, and uh, we'll get into that. So we will break, and we'll bear it back. You're listening to Tri-State Sports Beat. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to the Tri-State Sports Beat, episode number 116. And uh, producer Joe is here with us. Table hey. tennis, ping pong, not the same thing. Hi, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Glad to have you back. It's the buddy. same thing. This is my first uh, episode with the uh, yeah. soundboard. You guys did one before this, right? Yes, we did. Yeehaw with the lasso. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it already. Uh, welcome back, pal. How you doing? Good, good, good. Yeah. So um, before we talk about the Islanders and uh, your beloved Rangers and stuff and their bad luck but good luck at the same time. Um, yeah. You wanted to. You actually wanted to touch on the unwritten rule in baseball that Scott and I just discussed before about the Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, go ahead with your thoughts. So, like, I'm not. I'm not huge into baseball. Like, I'm following it more now that we're doing the podcast and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like, I don't see an issue with Tatis hitting a Grand Slam at, at that point yep. in the game. Yep. Like That's one, I feel like. A, t- a professional team, no matter who it is, I know it's the Rangers, but I know teams have come back from what was it, a seven-point lead uh, and and like turned it around. So, like, I get there's, like, unwritten rules and this and that, but, like, I feel like there's no point. Like, these are professional athletes. Like, they're going to score. They're going to pad stats, whether no matter what it is. I know Tatis came out and – and apologized and said that he didn't see the signs, but like you shouldn't have to apologize. It, yeah, it, it kind of just baffled me when it when they came out and were like, I, I apologize. Like even the manager came out and was like, I think that he should apologize, and it, it didn't make sense. Right. It, I don't know. Well, it's kind of like any any really un, other unwritten rule in sports. Like there's unwritten rules in hockey that you just don't do. But, like, this is kind of different kind of situation. What unwritten rules do you not do yeah. in hockey, though? Yeah, but there's really not. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I get it because, like, this is – like, baseball is such an old 
time right. game. Right. And it's like, it's one of like, I guess you could say the a gentleman's game at it, to some extent, but I don't, I don't get how that's like bad to do. Like, exactly. Like, I don't, I, I feel not. like it's not, feel it's like not it's really, not. In, in my opinion, that's like not really running up the score. No. I don't think that's running up the score. And now there's talks of possibly him getting hit with pitches. Like, like you should, uh, your team should be better. Uh-huh. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So exactly. Like, like you're a, pef- you're a professional athlete to go to the petty extent to hitting somebody with a pitch is just re- ridiculous. And, and honestly, you don't get that harshly penalized for hitting somebody with a pitch. No. Well, you're kind of starting to now. Yeah. You're starting to now, but that's like, that's something that baseball's always done. So isn't that an unwritten rule? And especially being suspended in a 60 game season instead of 162 is even more harsh. Like the Joe Kelly suspension. Eight games for, you know, not even hitting somebody, you know? Mm hmm. But because it was the Astros, I mean, we don't want to get totally into that again because Scott and I ripped the Astros, you know, before. (laughs) But, um,. But yeah, thank you for your insight on that, Joe. Um, you weren't on last week, and you know we did our best to discuss your beloved New York Rangers last week. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess we have to have your insight on um, first. First of all, the the sweep of the uh, good old Carolina Hurricanes. You went on the record, and I'm sure you heard mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode last week mm-hmm. of your yeah. uh, of your comments saying that you were not scared whatsoever of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, yeah. what do you have to say for yourself now? I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was very wrong. Well, the um, funny thing, the funny part of that is people were saying that the lightning and, uh, blue jacket scheme almost lasted as long as the Rangers lasted in the bubble. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, um, no, I mean, like the Carolina Hurricanes obviously are a great team. They're not at the top of the standings for no reason. And yeah, did I say that I wasn't really scared of them? <laughs> yeah. And I was maybe oh. a little bit in the moment, but, um, you know, honestly, why, like, you know, looking, why, you looking know at why the regular you season stats, looking at the regular season stats, I was just like, okay, this is honestly just another game for the Rangers, but I didn't really take into consideration what they were what they would have to go through in the bubble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, and, and I can't really make an excuse for them because everybody's going through the same thing and it's no fans. You can't be with your family for an extended period of time. Nobody, no visitors. Like it's different. Absolutely. And their preparation, I don't think was up to par to play against the Carolina hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So seeing them in that first game, I was kind of, I kind of was like, this is not going to last long, but I didn't think they were going to get swept uh, in three games. You couldn't have been happy with the one for, I don't know, one for 19 through the series on the power play. No. Uh, And I think Dave Quinn is kind of like pretty big on the power play from what I've heard. Um, So I'm sure like, I just don't think they were prepared at all. For any team, I don't think they would have made it past any team really. Um, after seeing them in that in that series, mm-hmm. but I mean, it is what it is, and 
we're done. I mean, this is, this is the season. And you know what the thing, the thing with this season is like, if it was a full season and they were doing really good right up until playoffs and then they got swept, I would have been like, are you kidding me? But since it's a shortened season, since we got right into the playoffs, they had that extended break. I'm, I feel like I'm a bit more lenient on them, I guess. I don't know if I should. But. Well, you're actually. Well, you say that. You're, that mean that makes you one of the rare run rare ones because apparently a lot of Ranger fans want to blame David Quinn for this and want him out. And because no. you know, I thought no. that was I thought that was ridiculous. But no, absolutely you're a fan, not. That, so I want to know. I've, I've, no, I've heard the same thing, but absolutely not. I think David Quinn has done a remarkable job with the players that he has, um, being able to put together a, a squad like this. And you know what? Yeah, we have Artemi Panarin and we have Mark Stahl and we have Henrik Lundqvist. But you know what? Some of those guys are fading out. Mark Stahl and, and Henrik Lundqvist, I don't know if they're going to be here next year, one. And two years ago, we remember Jeff Gordon, uh, general manager of the Rangers, saying sending out um, a letter to the fans saying, this is a rebuild stage. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring the guys in that are going to help us in the future. This is two years of a rebuild, and you're already competing for a a playoff spot. Right. Like that's that's pretty impressive to say the least. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're feeling all crappy because your team just got swept in the first run in a Stanley Cup qualifier, right? And again, you've been on record saying, "Wow, the Rangers have the opportunity to win the Stanley Cup and the number one overall pick." Well, the Stanley Cup didn't happen. Nope. <laughs> but somehow, the hockey gods decided, let's give the Rangers the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. You obviously have to be happy about that. Um, uh, you know. for So, <laughs> I'm just reading on Twitter here. Rangers got the first overall pick for Brady Shea. And they also got Strom and D'Angelo in that uh I, no 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 i'm sorry no they just traded for uh brady shea for that first overall pick now i love brady shea but this kid might be the next mvp of the league right so I, i'm i'm more than happy with getting this this first first hey, overall kevin, pick. kevin ball put him on his ass <laughs> okay and we're, we're getting the better of the duo harvard defenseman <laughs> Riley, Riley Walsh made Adam Fox what he was at Harvard. Uh-huh. To be honest. Uh-huh. So we'll continue. We'll continue to talk. Let's continue. <laughs> continue. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about something. Hank is past it. Hank's yes. career is over. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come back next, like this following year. Would I don't know. If he's gonna, is he I don't know if he's, no, no, no. He's got one more year on his contract. Um, what, I'm, what I mean by that is I don't know if they'll trade him, if he'll get picked up by the new expansion team in Seattle. Um, That'd be or, a good spot for him. Or does he call it retirement? I mean, he's got one more year. They will pay him. He's going to have his number retired as a New York Ranger, undoubtedly. But what he does this coming year is still up in the air. There's been no there's been no real word on what his decision is going to be yet, so I, I'm kind of interested to see that as well. So Alex Lafreniere, he's our wing, right? Correct. The Rangers, the Rangers are loaded with mm-hmm. wingers. 
Busnevich, Capo Caco, yes. and of course Panarin and Chris mm-hmm. Kreider. And Brendan Lemieux, you can't forget. Yes. So if I mean the Rangers are gonna draft this kid. There's that I mean that that would just be silly not to. Where do you see him fitting? Well, first of all, do you see him being this generational type Crosby Ovechkin type player? Um I see in personally, I see him more as a Sidney Crosby. Okay. That's not bad. I think that's not bad. I no, no, not at all. I see him more as a Sidney Crosby. Ovechkin is on a completely different level. He he can possibly go down as the best player ever to play the game, in my mind. Um, Sidney Crosby is right there as well, but I think he's his style of play is closer to Crosby than Ovechkin. So he's more of a point. he's more of a playmaker than a goal scorer. Essentially, correct. What you're correct. From from what I've read this last this past season, uh, he played in the QMJHL, Quebec Junior League, whatever it, whatever it is. Um, in fifty three fifty four games, he recorded one hundred and fifty two points. Seventy seven <laughs> of those points Jesus. were assists. Wow. Seventy seven were assists. Wow. So, for an eighteen year old kid. That's pretty impressive because they, oh, everybody in this league, this this league is one of the more highly drafted leagues to the NHL. <clears throat> so to put those numbers up against players that will in the future be on the NHL stage, on the highest stage possible for uh, ice hockey is remarkable. Mm-hmm. He played in the World Juniors. He tore it up in the World Juniors. Five games, I believe it was 12 I believe it was 12 points. Right. So about two, almost three goal, uh, three points a game. This kid is playing against high-level competition in the league that is only one step below what he's going to be drafted into. Mm-hmm. So I think he is very well possibly going to be a genera- generational player. In my mind, I know you said it would be pretty stupid for the Rangers to pass on him. I wouldn't be surprised really i really won't i won't be surprised simply because there are rumors floating all over the place that the la kings are very interested in this guy and have two first round picks well do you think it's first round picks being the second pick overall do you think it's because they're loaded at wing yeah yeah absolutely i mean the wings that we have like you said are loaded they are good they are talented they are and we have depth at that position so the thing is with hockey teams with nhl teams what you want to do is you want to build up the center you want to build from the center out so center and you go wing wing defense defense goaltender or uh, goaltender defense defense Uh basically so the second the second guy uh quinn byfield he is another player that is – he's not – trust me, he's not as good as Lafayette. Lafayette will be the number one guy out of this draft. Somebody is getting a plug-and-play player. Quinn Byfield is the, next, the second best guy. He is a center. He needs some development. But, again, he's, he's very good. He's, he's almost a plug-and-play player with some development. Mm-hmm. So do the Rangers trade? and get that second overall and get Quentin Byfield and start that build up the center. If you're really serious about this rebuild or do you go with the best man on the board? 
Well, is two first round picks enough to get to trade away a chance at a once well, in a generation? With, like with with the Rangers, when you already have two first rounds and you're only trading one away, you'll have three at the end of the day. So yeah. I mean, yeah, but still, is that enough for a guy like Lafreniere, who's apparently going to be generational and could literally probably change the Rangers franchise? Given they have Panarin, they have Kako, Bushnevich, Kreider. So actually, my question is to you now: If the Rangers don't end up drafting Lafreniere, are you going to regret that the Rangers gave Chris Kreider such a big contract? If they don't draft Lafreniere, yeah, because because you just said it that. Yeah, the depth at wing will probably lead the Rangers to maybe not draft this kid. So, will that make you regret the Rangers signing Chris Kreider to a long-term deal instead of drafting Lafreniere to pair with a like to be the second guy? Because Chris Kreider's the second guy right now behind Panarin. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't say I would regret it because you don't, I you don't know what Lafreniere like turn out Chris, to be. Yeah, it's you're taking a chance on every draft that you take that you make. Sure, but. I don't know. Like Chris Kreider, you know what he's capable of. You know when he gets into the playoff mentality, he's going to perform. You know he's a grinding player where he's going to go out, throw the body around, block a shot, and be able to score a goal here and there. So is Lafreniere the next best thing? We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Mm -hmm. But So I don't know if I I completely – regret the signing of Chris Kreider, but it is you gotta you gotta right. see you it gotta see how Lafreniere turns out. It is a concern. Right. Scott, what are your thoughts? I mean, we, on, what are your thoughts? Good. What are your thoughts on that? I mean I would freaking draft the kid. If if this was the devil's situation and they didn't freaking draft him, I'd be freaking yeah, but pissed. Yeah, but what's the depth at the devil's wing? Well what, I'm yeah. just putting you I'm just putting oh, you in okay. the same yeah, yeah, yeah. in the same situation I'd be pissed. I'd yeah. rather trade away a winger like you know, another young young winger who maybe like is good, but is not Alexi Lafreniere. If you don't draft this kid, the Rangers are freaking morons. I mean, there is also talks of trading away D'Angelo. Who's well, so this is what I was going to bring up. Nick and I last week talked about the contract, you know, current situation of contracts for the Rangers, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll look it up again. Um, but they have a lot of. Um, you know, really expensive contracts on the books right now. And they have a lot of young kids that are eventually going to, you know, be up on their, uh, on their entry level deals. And they're going to have to pay like, like Kako D'Angelo was a free agent this year. Um, hold on. Let me bring this up quick. Uh, Panarin's Panarin got the expensive deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Panarin makes, over eleven point six million dollars a year. Yeah, you're not moving Panarin. That's you have yeah. Mika, who's you know on a pretty you know franchise friendly contract right now at five point three five. Mm-hmm. But that's another three years. He'll be thirty years old when you have to, when you have to resign him. But are you going to want to lose a guy like Mika Zibanejad? I mean, he will be thirty years old, like I said, when his contract is up. But that's going to be a big contract if he continues to produce like he is. You have Kreider, who is going to make six point five million over the next however many years. You have Bushnevich, who's uh, two more years on 3.25. Then you're going to have to re-sign him. Ryan Strom, he's going to be a free agent after this year. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's Boss the is a free agent. And that's Taco, the big thing. Is there, Taco, there are trade rumors for, for Strom and D'Angelo swirling around. Now, can we, yeah. get, can we get possibly a second-line center? 
for one of those players and separate deals? Because if so, then you lose some of that depth, but then in the draft, you make up for it for La- with Lafayette. Yeah. And then like, so it, it really is. It's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting off season for the Rangers. And then like, what do they do with Georgiev? Because he's a free agent. He's a restricted free agent after this year. You're gonna have to resign yeah. him to, you know, he might not make a lot of money, but I'd assume he's going to make three, four million. See, um, the unfortunate thing with Georgiev is I don't see him in a Rangers uniform this coming season. Yeah. I mean, so it's either going to be, is it going to be like Hank and then Shosturkin? Shosturkin be the starter and then Hank back him up? Or what are they going to do there? And then, you know, like we said, D'Angelo's a free agent after this year. Um, Truba they have for however many years at $8 million a year, which off the first season does not look like a very good contract. You know, the Rangers are in a win-now mode because, you know, they have these young stars, but eventually they're going to have to pay a lot of guys a lot of money. Yeah, and I mean, it's a hard decision for any Rangers fan to get rid of Hank because and the thing is, this last season— He's got to go, though. Like, there's, there's, no way, yeah. there's no two ways about it. I'm sorry. Is, is there a way for Jeff Gordon to kind of push him into— a little bit of an early retirement just regarding his contract situation. Because if we get that contract off of our, our, um, our salary cap, that's huge for the Rangers. We could sign one or two more big name guy, bigger name guys with that. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's going to be an interesting off season for the Rangers. Um, what they do with that first pick what they do in net, who they're going to uh, either trade or get rid of or whatever. And also you have to address that defensive line because the defense is the weakest part of the Rangers whole team, right? Mm-hmm. Now. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. All right. So let's also, what are they going to do with Lias Anderson? <laughs> he said he's I, not going to play for the Rangers anymore. And he's just, you know, chilling. He's over. Yeah. He's like over in Sweden or something playing. I don't like I, at this point I would cut him. I would just cut him. My personal opinion, just buy him out, cut him. He's done over with. He's still on a rookie deal. All right, let's move on to the Islanders up three, nothing against the Washington Capitals going into game four tonight. Um, They're kind of like the Rangers at this point where they just cannot score on the power play one for 14 through three games on the power play. And the Capitals have committed so many penalties. It's, it's almost freaking ridiculous. But at the same time, Islanders special teams has kind of struggled. And it's rare, I think at least, that it's rare that a team that bad on the power play is up 3-0 in a series. Like, <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, actually. But, what do we, Scott, what do you like seeing out of the Islanders right now? I mean, we were on here last week when they were playing game one, and they were down, I think, 2-0. Mm-hmm. Going into the third, 2-1 going into the third, they scored with, like, 69 seconds left or 70 seconds left in the uh, – in the second period going into the third and that you could just see the momentum switch coming into the third. They scored a quick goal coming in, in uh, out of the third or out of the second intermission to tie it up at two. And they really haven't turned back in the entire series. I mean, we talked about the discipline that first period was unbelievably physical between both teams or mm-hmm. fights. There was big hits. Um, but you know, the discipline still is hurting the capitals and, I mean, the Islanders, like you said, haven't taken advantage of it. Only one for 14 on the power play. But um, the Islanders are finding ways to win, and that's what good teams do in the playoffs. You find good uh, – you know, you find ways to win. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, the Islanders, we've said it the entire year, 
the beginning of the season, they were the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, they were winning so many games, and then right before the lockdown, they just, you know, fell off. They lost however many games in a row. They, you know, weren't, weren't getting any points, you know, game after game after game after game. But, you know, they have what's behind them as a veteran coach who knows how to win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And Barry Trotz, you know, is going to put this team in a place to succeed. I mean, granted, is some of their success attributed to his experience with the Washington Capitals, obviously leading them to a Stanley Cup and, you know, all the years he spent there. I mean, I think if they can sweep, you know, you get these couple days off. They, uh, you know, played in that um, the qualification round as well. So they've played quite a few games in a short amount of time. Um, I mean, I think the Islanders are in a really good spot. I, I, uh, I think they – you know, John Gabriel Pajot has been awesome. um, fantastic for them. Like, Can I forgot about, that they. Go ahead, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I forgot that they traded for him, mm-hmm. and then like you know, he just yeah. popped back up in in the qualification round, and now this round, like he's been fantastic for them. Yeah, Joe. And Are they just have so about, many. They just have so many role players who make plays. Like you look at Anders Lee, you look at Anthony yeah. Beauvillier. Like they just have guys who make plays, and like it's you know, then you, you sprinkle in the Barzals. And you know, well, Josh Bailey makes say. a play here and there. The and game, like, the game-winning goal in so game well three. Built. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Was onside, oh, onside by the by his skate blade in yeah. the in the overtime game-winning goal in game three. Beats he beat Holpe on a beautiful backhand. Like that was just amazing. But yeah. um, you know, took them a while. It took them a little bit to review that goal. Getting kind of nervous there. I was like, they're really going to you know overturn this, and then that's going to shift the momentum all the way to the Capitals, and then they're going to probably score and win and take one from the Islanders. But they get the two to one win in the in overtime. That was that was the first game I actually got to watch because I didn't have cable for a long time, which I didn't mention on here. But it was, that was a thank good you, game. Isaiah. That was a good game to watch. It was terrible. So yeah, we got to I got to watch game three. That was nice. But game four is tonight. The Islanders try to close it out and advance the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, yeah, before we get off the Islanders, you have to talk about Semyon Varlamov. Have too. to yes. Only given up five goals in three games so far yep. in this series against the Capitals. And um, actually, that's pretty impressive because. Most of these guys have played with Varlamov, and I know like he may have uh, switched his style a little bit. But for most part, goaltenders don't switch their style all that much. If it is, it's mm-hmm. a tweak here, a tweak there. Mm-hmm. And you practice with this guy like all the time. You're in game with this guy all the time. You know his tendencies. So I'm surprised that the Capitals have, haven't scored more than five on them. Yeah, and it's, it's like incredible – to look at the job that Barry Trotz has done with this defense, because if you look at the Islanders a year, even two years ago, they would leak goals left and right. Like they were last in the NHL and goals allowed. Uh-huh. And now, you know, they're shutting down a prolific offense like the Washington Capitals in the playoffs. And they've also gone through goalies like that Halak and, you know, he was good for them. Then he signs elsewhere. And, you know, now you have Verlamov. Like what, what Barry Trotz has done with this defense is phenomenal. Shout out to my boy, Devon Tapes. What a Piaka <laughs> lump. What a stud. <laughs> And, 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 you know, I'm happy for Andy Green, too, former too. Devil captain. Me too. You know, he uh, wasn't really probably going to get a shot or too many more shots to do it in a Devil's uniform, I mean, in his career. Now now he can make a run with the Islanders. And, you know, I have nothing against the Islanders. I know, Joe, you probably hate the Islanders, but I really don't I have anything against them. But, you know, I hope they keep making a run because it's good for, you know, the New York area to bring mm-hmm. hockey, you know, back to the forefront and, you know, now that the Nets will probably not have a short, a pretty short-lived uh, stint in the playoffs, now the Islanders can be that one team that continues into the playoffs for for uh, New York sports at the moment. 
yeah, on a normal occasion, I would I would hate this run that the Islanders are making. But when they have players like Anders Lee, Bovillier, uh, Barzell, like you can't help but love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always liked Semyon Varlamov too, even when he was a Capital. Like I just I, I enjoy watching Islanders hockey. I've never said that they're in very my fun life, team. They are. I might turn that you into don't a soundbite. That's something you don't I never, know. I never hear you. Hate. <laughs> you d- you just don't know what they're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, your Brooklyn Nets last night. Ugh. I was a horrible first half. I'm like you know, <clears throat> just like looking at the game. The, the the first couple possessions were just like so sloppy from both teams like neither team could hold on to the ball neither team could score then the Raptors eventually started hitting some open shots and you know let's look at it too if Garrett Temple hits those two open threes he had in the first quarter when the Nets cut it to what seven or six in the second half it could be tied or a one possession game Uh but he was hitting those shots in the uh in the regular season still uh, in the regular season part of the bubble last night they just weren't falling and um I mean like I don't watch a lot of Raptors games. I don't really watch a lot of NBA other than the Nets, but their defense is incredible. Like they swarm you. Their switches are incredible. Like the Nets tried to get the pick and roll going and they like were super aggressive, like on their hedge off the screen. Then Karis LeVert and Jared Allen couldn't really get anything going there. I mean, I mean, Karis uh, really dished it last night with the 15 assists, just not so much on the scoring end from him. Yeah. And I wish you know, you could see that the Raptors really, you know, made a conscious effort to shut down Karis LeVert because he has proven in the, in, you know, the bubble so far for the Nets that, I mean, he should be the go-to guy. He's the best player on the team right now. Um, that's still playing for the Nets and he's made some unbelievable plays. Granted, he didn't make that sh- uh, game winning shot against Portland the other night, but, um, I mean, the Nets, that fantastic third quarter coming out of halftime, uh, Jacques Vaughn, I think you have to give him credit for, you know, what he did at halftime, the adjustments he made. Um, it just like ran away. Like it was what, maybe a nine point game in the fourth quarter. And then it just kind of ran away from them at the end when, um, you know, they were just trying to press and, um, you know, make something happen at the end. But I think one guy that, you know, we continue to talk about is, uh, Timothy Luau Cabarell. 26 points. This guy's a freaking stud. Oh this dude is goodness. a freaking stud. Oh. He, like you said, goes six for nine from three point range. Um, what a find by Sean Marks. This right. guy is going to be like a role player for the next couple of years. I mean, who would have, no one thought about Timothy Luau Cabarell oh. coming into the season. <laughs> like, who the heck is this guy? And it just shows, you know, the kind of talent evaluator that Sean Marks is, and he can find these guys. I mean, granted these were Kenny Atkinson guys, but you look at Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, the way that he has been, you know, developed over time. You look at Joe Harris, the way he's been developed over time, Sean Marks, and you have to give a lot of credit to Kenny Atkinson too, for the way that, you know, he handled this organization um, when, you know, in his time here. Um, But, you know, I don't really, I like I said last week, I'm not really – I wasn't like, you know, super pumped up about the Nets the way they were playing. It's nice to see them be somewhat competitive. And, you know, it it showed last night in that third quarter when they made that run and cut the a 33-point lead to nine. Um, I just hope, you know, they can continue to be competitive against a very good Raptors team. I mean, Fred Van Vliet is going to make a lot of money this offseason. He is 
you know, proven that he can be a really good player in this league. I don't know if he's with the Raptors or not, but he's, he's earned a, his uh, big contract this off season, but the Raptors, you know, they may not have the stars. I mean, yes, they have Kyle Lowry, but Pascal Siaka, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka. I didn't know they had Rondé Hollis Jefferson until yesterday. I had a solid six points. Last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, they just have guys who make plays and you know, Nick nurse, you have to give him credit too for the job that he's done with this team. Probably the coach um, of the year this year. Yeah, Should probably be, with, you know, second, uh, second seed in the East that he's had them playing at a high level after everyone thought they weren't going to be able to play at that level after they lost Kawhi. But, you know, they really haven't, they've really, you know, left off right where they, you know, ended the season last year with the championship. And had, it had they, to, you know, uh, had to kind of frustrate you too last night from two things, Rodion's fouling out. And then, so, yeah, good. The beginning, those three and ones or whatever the Nets gave up on fast breaks. Yeah, two of them were roadie. Those were so such dumb fouls. Mm. Like they're gonna make the layup anyway. Don't foul him. Yeah, and then but it's, the, and it's then so the, frustrating from him because I want him to play more. I think he's a very valuable asset to this team. He makes that great defensive play. I forget who was going up for a layup, but he makes that great defensive play um, in the first quarter. But then after that, he makes like two dumb and one fouls that gives the Raptors just three point plays left and right. Like, what are you doing? And then the other but, thing, too, was Garrett Temple having five fouls. And then can this guy hit a freaking corner three, please? He goes one for that's 10. What, yeah, that's what I'm points. saying. Like, he missed how many wide open threes yesterday? And, yeah. Um, you can't shoot one for 10 from the three point line in the way the Nets want to play, play basketball. Yeah. I mean, it also doesn't help that. Uh, oh, hold on. Yahoo's being finicky here. It's. Uh, not loading, but two guys in the starting five for the Nets go minus 16 while they're on the court. Like, uh, I'm trying to bring that back up. Jared, to see Jal- who it was. Jared Allen and, and Rodion's. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think Jared Allen had a really tough time yesterday because you could see the emphasis that the Raptors put on grabbing rebounds. Like the Nets on the, on the offensive end, like they weren't really going for offensive rebounds. The Raptors were crashing the boards really hard because they know the Nets don't have a lot of height in there. And Rody isn't, you know, necessarily a big guy. He's kind of like that swing guy who, you know, can try and do it all, but he might not be the best at it. I think the Raptors are really going to try and take advantage of that with Marcus Saul. You saw, you saw yesterday, Marcus Saul was out on the three point line for a majority of that first half. They're trying to get Jared Allen away from the basket yeah. where he's not as good of a player. So, how do you feel about how about the Nets putting one ten up on the on Toronto? Is that like a good sign for you, or is it not really? Does it really I matter? Mean, it, it's a good sign just because, you know, in the beginning of the game, they couldn't get anything going offensively. So it showed that they could, you know, score against this team. But giving up 134, like the defensive woes of this team just continue. Like mm-hmm. this has been a problem all season long. They don't play defense. Jared Allen, Jared Allen's also a uh, a consistent double-double machine, I think you could say at this point. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. He is. Well, there is a little bit of good news for the for the Nets. Um, there's a picture starting to swirl around uh, – <laughs> came out on Twitter uh, via Eric Smith. He is he does have a check mark next to me. <laughs> Don't really know who it is though. So that means he's um, good. That means it's okay. <laughs> he's good. He's reliable, yeah. Um, Drake with a Toronto Raptors hat on but, well he is a so, Toronto fan, so well, I think yeah, he well, owns let's, part of the team. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well let's hope let's the Drake hope, curse. Well, the Drake curse might help. Uh, Might help the Nets. Well, I mean, they kind of overcame that last year, so I don't know if that's still a thing. That's true. Can we also that's mention true. the picture that Joe just put in the, uh, <laughs> the old Tri-State Sports Beat group chat for a second? 
Where did you where where did you find this? <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> That's probably when uh the Suns were all rooting for the Nets to uh beat the uh, NBA, they could get in the playoffs. NBA on TNT posted oh that. Yeah. Charles Barkley with the nachos that Ky- the Kyrie, Kyrie up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Is that KD just on his That's phone? KD on his, phone. Yeah. <laughs> on his burner account, of course. <laughs> Steve Nash with the Nets mask. <laughs> Hold on, do you see Shaq right next to Devin Booker? Just oh, I head. didn't see that. <laughs> I just saw that. But uh, yeah, there was the Sun. The Suns even posted that picture of Devin Booker in a, a Nets uniform. Jeez. Wow. So, Jeez. but that was when uh, they were all rooting for him. They uh, they literally turned into a Nets like fan account. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess some positives you can take out was uh, Luau Cabarro, of course, with the twenty six points off the bench. That was awesome. I mean, he's been fantastic in the bubble. Yeah, you can't, you couldn't have expect Karis Levert to do everything because I mean, he was on the he was on the court for thirty five minutes, which was the most out of you know most out of every net. So, and he only took like I remember texting you during the game, and you were like, "Okay, Karis," I'm like, "Karis is out now. They better not blow it up." Of course, they start blowing it up, and Karis has to go in a minute and thirty seconds later. So, yeah. hopefully, he doesn't get too worn out. But the fifteen assists was great last night. Um Still not expecting much. Uh, not much to expect now. Down one nothing already. But I mean, it is only one nothing. I mean, I think they may be able to take one game, but I, I don't know. I really wish Jamal Crawford didn't get hurt in the in that Bucks game because I think he could have made a big difference for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really see them doing much. I think the Raptors are just too good, and the Nets don't have enough talent at the moment with you know a lot of their guys not playing. All right, so that's it. But for, next year. But yeah, next, next year. Next year. Next year. We can talk about next year, next year. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> or the offseason. We'll talk about that. All right, so that's it for hockey and the Nets being down one nothing to the Toronto Raptors defending champs. We'll take another break, and we when we come back, we'll finish out talking about the Jets opening up camp and Tri-State Sportsbook. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. And welcome back, everyone, to the Tri-State Sports Beat. We are going to get to the old pigskin mm-hmm. right now and talk a little football. Uh, we'll start off with our beloved New York Jets. And, you know, the injury bug hit the Yankees. It is also hitting the Jets three days into training camp. Uh, I mentioned before they have seven soft tissue injuries in two full days of practice. And then today they uh, went really light just to walk through about, like, they only practiced for, like, a half hour, I feel like, mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter. So, uh, not great, especially our star rookie wide receiver, Denzel Mims, you know, tries to run around on his own, a little individual drills, and of course pulls his hamstring because what else would happen to a New York Jets player? But uh, I guess better now than in the season. But I think this is a big talking point because will Denzel Mims be ready week one, in your opinion? Um, I think he might be. I think I felt a little better when Gay said they're going to get a lot of guys back next week. So that might involve Mims. I don't. Yeah, but that only gives him three weeks to learn the entire playbook. Well, I wouldn't say. Well, beyond the field, yes, I'm sure he's been studying his little butt off. I mean, well, yeah, but everyone only, talks about only... how hard how hard the acclimation process is for wide receivers. It's going to be even harder. And, it's going to be even harder too, considering he's a yep. rookie and all this going on, limited time on the field and whatnot. But, you know, Mims isn't the only one. The wide receiver core is still really thin now with Vincent Smith going out with this core injury. He just got surgery today, actually, and he's going to be out five to eight weeks. So he's probably going to miss the start of the season. So um, another thing, too, is Frank Gore with a hamstring. I think they're just going to take it easy with him, considering he's old and fragile. 
When did that happen? Uh, that happened the same time Mims. Same time as Mims. Oh, same but he's been practicing. Day one or day two. So he might, he might be okay Worse now. Worse practicing. Um, what's really concerning to me is the Pierre Desir injury with the hamstring. He's probably our number one corner. Yeah. Don't really want to see that. Jabari Zuniga, another rookie with a quad injury. Uh, I didn't know about that yeah, one. We're kind of expecting something from him, you know, being a pass rusher. And then Cam Clark, the rookie tackle with the shoulder injury. All did, not, all did not practice this week. And Brian Poole uh, also did not practice or left practice with dehydration. Yeah. He hit the old dehydration station, which is not really something you hear of all that often, but it is what it is. Um, I'm disappointed. Like we're all obviously disappointed by this, but I'm not surprised considering the circumstances with all these. Well, yeah. considering they're the Jets, first of all, and considering the circumstances of the COVID precautions and whatnot, you know, not having OTAs, no many camps, you know, to get guys right. Um, but like we said, it hurts the rookies the most, and they're growing thin at wide receiver. That's why they had to sign Chris Hogan, AFC East uh, veteran. He's played for all three AFC East teams now for the Jets. Four. Four, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, including the Jets now four. Um, but the thing is, too, they won't get him on the field for a while, for a couple weeks. So, honestly, when week one comes, he's probably going to be very new. Like, like he's not going to have much practice time. But everyone says that, or I saw on Twitter, that Adam Gase's offense used a lot of the same terminology as Josh McDaniel, so he should be semi-familiar with the offense. Huh. That explains Hopefully. why the Patriots destroyed the Jets. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I'll give I'll give one of the reasons, but but right now as we look at the Jets, uh, you know, wide receiver depth, it's Perriman, Crowder, Braxton Berrios, and Chris Hogan. Good, along with undrafted rookies Jeff Smith, who I didn't even know existed, but Rich Samini says look out for this guy. But um, what comes down is that to, the guy from West Virginia? I to be that honest, had like Scott to be honest, seven touchdowns and twenty five. I don't know. I've never heard of this guy. But Rich Samini also brought up a very good point that Chris Herndon is the X factor in all this because he needs to be able to play 16 games. He needs a breakout year, has to be healthy, and he needs to, more importantly, be that safety blanket for Sam. But he's got to play. He's got to be on the field. That's one thing. You know, Ryan Griffin did a good job being that safety blanket for Sam, and he's going to be healthy when the season begins. But as of right now, the issue that we've been saying all along is the wide receiver depth. Even when they were 100% healthy, we were worried about. Now, it's really concerning, considering we're, what, you said three weeks from the season? We're uh, 26 days away, I believe. So, I mean, that's close. Yeah, we're Le'Veon Bell days away. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. It's concerning. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, also, uh, that Lawrence Cager kid that we were kind of excited for, um, he was an undrafted free agent signed out of Georgia. Apparently he has hands of literal rock. He Great. literally cannot catch the ball. Great. Who is this? Lawrence Cager. Lawrence no. Cager. He's about six five. Cool. He's about six five, two twenty. There's a reason why he went undrafted, because he cannot catch the ball. Great. Jeff Smith went to, to Boston Hill. College. I just looked it up. Yes. But like how are we supposed Early. to feel how are we supposed to feel confident in these guys? I don't know. Like Bashad Perriman, we don't know. Jameson Crowder's the only one. Well, Rashad Perriman apparently has had a very good camp so far. Yeah. He's looked like a very good player. But right now, Jameson Crowder is really the only guy, maybe besides Braxton Barrios and Vincent Smith, in limited action, of course, yeah. that and has real and, chemistry with Sam. Yeah. Don't forget and also, Crowder, too. I said Crowder. Oh, you did? I didn't hear you. And Perriman, Perriman has also said that Sam Darnold has unreal touch on the ball. 
But again, we're in, we're in August. Gore, we're in August. Frank Gore also <laughs> compared Sam Darnold's touch to to uh, Adam uh, Adam Andrew Adam Luck. Gase. Oh, Adam Gase. I think Dow Loggins throws a mean football. I'll tell you that much. Isn't he your? So you said he's your spirit. He's animal. my spirit animal. We're, we're probably about the same height, and he. You know, we've seen him throw in. Well, he Joe, slings well, it. Yeah, he sling, He does sling it. He's he's. I mean, I don't really know what he does for you know our team, but. <laughs> he throws a football real well. He's the he's the football thrower. He's the quarterback. He's the yes man for Adam Gase. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's a the rodeo clown. Pretty much. <laughs> but um Yeehaw. What? Yeah. Good Yeehaw news with the lasso. <laughs> <laughs> Good news out of the XFL. Oh, what? The New York Jets the XFL. Okay. The New York Jets signed St. Louis Battle Hawks tight end. Connor Davis. Oh, that was two did, days did ago. You, did you guys? I don't hear know that, if you guys got that. Did you guys hear that The Rock bought the XFL for like yeah. five million dollars? Was it 3. fifteen 4? million? I think. Yeah, he's Come gonna save. He's gonna save the XFL. They are. He's gonna play. So suit up. Oh my god. Oh, oh. no, he's, that's not true. But from the top rope, that, that sounds <laughs> something that I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> but let's look at some early positives, though. I guess from I guess from what we've heard. I mean, we can only go off of from what we've heard. Sam looking sharp in year two of Adam Gase's offense so far, from what we hear. You know, throwing that 55-yard bomb to Bashad Perriman the other day, which we all freaked out about naturally, because that's what we do as Jet fans. <laughs> Freak out about stupid little things in in training camp that aren't yeah, we need even, We need anything we can get. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the, the most important thing about Sam is, and I don't want to get into a debate with you, Joe, because we debate about Sam all the freaking time. But the thing is, in year two of Gase's offense, you know, he can now focus on throwing, like actually getting the ball to where it needs to be instead of worrying about learning the playbook and memorizing the plays and whatnot. So that's a positive for Sam. And then Gase also said that his mechanics have gotten faster. I think you can kind of tell from that throw he made to Perriman, I think his release has gotten a little shorter, which is good. He's been working on his um, long ball accuracy, which, you know, we've been critical of him. Even I've been critical, critical, the Sam Darnold lover, been critical on his long, you know, his long passes. But the most important thing is that he's more comfortable in year two of an offense. So that's mm-hmm. what we need, you know. And we, you know, even when we were screaming to have Adam Gase fired. He needs to be comfortable and have some consistency and continuity with his offense, you know, with his coordinator, with his play caller, with, you know, with whatever. Um, so early thoughts on Sam, Scoop, from what you, what do you he like? He looks nice. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there's, nothing to not, there's nothing to not like right now, but. Um, I mean, I, everyone said that the offense looked horrible on Friday, which, yeah. you know, I guess is to be expected considering it's their first, you know, full team activities in months. Um, but. He this needs to be a big year for Sam, old Samuel. Yeah, it does. Needs to uh, show that he can be the franchise quarterback this uh, franchise needs. Uh-huh. He, need, uh, in because, my opinion, he needs to take a huge step to really prove to the fans, the organization itself, that he should be kept around. Honestly, see, it's just so hard because this is the first year that he has a competent offensive line around him, and now we have no wide receivers. Granted, Tom Brady never really had any wide receivers, and he still did it. But we're not comparing Sam Darnold to Tom Brady. Yeah, but, that's uh, interesting. That's completely uh, different it's just like, scenario. Yeah, but you, like, uh, stop he, being a clown. I just want a, <laughs> I just want like an actual like personnel base around him. Yeah, like some consistency. I mean, I I I like the way the offensive line is you know going. Um, 
Makai, I mean, we haven't talked about Makai yet. That dude looks like a yeah. freaking giant. Yeah, I mean, today, I think he weighed in at 370, wants to get down to 360, which, I mean. Yeah, he said, I think, in college, his playing weight was around 362, so I think that's looked, pretty normal but for him. he's a behemoth amongst boys. Yeah, well, like, today, t- I guess in today's practice, uh, Neville Hewitt had some strong comments for Makai. Um just saying well, he, that he's huge and that I guess Neville Hewitt went to break the gap, get into the gap, and he said Mackay back then got off the ball quicker than he's ever seen any other lineman get off the ball. Like yeah, yesterday, yesterday Mackay Beckton made Neville Hewitt part of the ground. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, and, and that's good because we've seen the early signs that Beckton is feeling comfortable and he's doing the little things right. And, you know, he's doing apparently to, you know, according to Gase, he's doing everything technically sound and he hasn't made the little mistakes that rookies do. He's not swimming, which is, I guess, meaning like the rookie wall in training camp. So, I mean, I guess he's doing everything right. And that's exactly what we want to hear from our first overall pick. Yeah. And we have have we ever seen Gase praise a player like uh, like he's praised Mackay? No. Other than Sam Donald. Well, yeah. Yeah. But has he even praised Sam like this much? Like. Well, he doesn't even stop talking about Mackay. No. Like, yeah, let's I, hope, I think let's he, hope he those pretty, words hold much, true. He pretty much compared yeah. him to Laramie Tunsil, pretty much athletic, athletically. Which I mean, yeah. that's pretty high praise if you're Mackay Beckton. I was listening to um, Connor Hughes on the Can't Wait podcast yesterday, and he said the starting offensive line, I believe, was Mackay Beckton. I think this is from left to right. He kind of, you know insinuated that this is the way it was going was Mackay Becton, um, Van Roten, uh, McGovern, Lewis, and Font on the right. Yeah. Is it Font or Fant? I think it's Fant. I've heard people say Font. Mm. I, I don't know. I think it's Fant. Who would have thought? People struggle with Patrick on Wasser, but we can't, <laughs> we don't know the actual pronoun- pronunciation of Fant. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's just, it is what it is. I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so that's really it from Jets Camp. So now it's time to make our bets, and we will now end the show with the Tri-State Sportsbook. Kids with the catch. Show me the money. Winning. All right, Tri-State Sportsbook, boys, where we make these out. Kids with the cash. <laughs> <laughs> where we make these outrageous bets from any league that we want. And if it hits, good for us. If it doesn't, uh, we'll make more bets next week. Scott, you lead it off, pal. Okay. My first one, I'm going to do a futures bet. I'm going to be sucked in, and the I'm going to say the over six and a half wins for the good old New York Jets. Okay. Nice. That's at plus 110. So a uh, $100 bet will win you $110. Very nice. And then, you know, two two uh, games I'm going to take tonight. I'm going to take the Yankees money line. They're actually plus money with Masahiro Tanaka on the mound hmm. against Blake Snell. They're playing in Yankee Stadium, so I think they will actually beat the Rays instead of in the dump field. That's called the trap. It is. Uh, so I will take the Yankees money line, and then I'm going to take the Marlins money line against the Mets with Corey Oswalt pitching. <laughs> Good idea. Great idea. So uh, that is a... Uh, odds of plus three ninety nine. If you put a ten dollar bet, you will win forty nine ninety two. So do that. Do with do with that as you will. <laughs> Joe, you got yours yet? You want me to go? Uh, There's Scott selections. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, I'm going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. These are probably the most outrageous bets I've ever made in my life. All three of them are futures. Are we ready for this? Uh, the Northern Trust. 2020 oh, Northern geez. Trust. You better pick Tony Finau to win the whole thing. What's his odds? Uh, plus 3,500. I mean, it's not. I mean, to take the whole, take him to win the whole thing. That's not bad. I'll take Tony Finau to win the 2020 Northern Trust. That actually wins. I'm going to be flabbergasted. Uh, so will I. Believe me. Golf win, Golf picking golf winners is such a freaking crapshoot. It's just it, a shot in the it dark. It really is. I think Bryson DeChambeau was even uh, lower odds than that, which is astonishing. Jeez. All right, next one. There's a fight on Saturday, and a good old local legend, Frankie Edgar, is fighting against a Pedro uh, Munoz, I believe. Yeah. Yep, there you go. Munoz. Pick Frankie Edgar. He's plus 200. He's a little older, but pick Frankie Edgar. He's plus 200. He's going to win. Take the money line. The local guy. On good old Frankie. And I'm getting sucked all the way in, boys, with the New York Islanders. Plus 370 to win the Eastern Conference. And I'm picking the Islanders to do so. Wow. That's right. You heard it here. Tony Finau winning the Northern Trust Open. Northern Trust. Yeah, Northern Trust Open. I don't know. Frankie Edgar beating Pedro Munoz on Saturday. Plus 200. And then the New York Islanders winning the Conference of the East at plus 370. If you put all those bets into a nice little uh, parlay. Yeah, parlay futures. Well, whatever. I just put in $5 for all those. (laughs) If you put $5 down, you could win $2,538. Actually, my God. <laughs> Actually, you might be able to parlay that because it's like actual, like, you're picking games, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't think you can. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know how that works. But if you put $5 down and you, and you put all those to win $2,538, what a moolah. You might want to do that. Cha-ching. You might want to do that. Oh, yeah. Where's that ching-ching button? Sorry. I'm. There you go. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Okay. So mine's not as uh, luxurious as yours. Uh, outlandish. You're not. You're not going to. You're not going to win two thousand dollars. I mean. I mean. You're probably going to lose five. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually exactly what I put in. Stop being a clown. I am a clown for putting. It <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I thought you were. I thought you were saying that to me for uh, not trusting the picks. <laughs> All right. So the first first one I'm going NFL. The AFC East division winner. Oh dear, oh, dear. Buffalo Bills. I'm going to say Bills. I think they're at like minus five hundred. <laughs> no, that's actually plus one twenty. Really? Plus one twenty. Moving on Going to the uh, win with that one. Yeah, Joe. <laughs> second bet from the WNBA: the Las Vegas Aces versus the Chicago Sky. I'm going to take the money line for the Chicago Sky. Plus 155. Who's on the Chicago Sky, uh, Joe? Bunch of women. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having too much fun with this. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. And then my final bet. It's a little more serious. It's tonight's game. Chicago Blackhawks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going total goals under six. Under six. That is that is actually favorited minus one twenty four. So if you put five dollars in, again, not two thousand dollars, but you'll win fifty dollars and seventy seven cents. <laughs> it's a great payout. It's a great payout. payout. All 
right, boys. Well, if you want to take our outlandish bets, then uh, I guess do so. All right, boys. Well, that'll do it for episode number 116 of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Thank you, everybody, for listening, as always. Thank you for sticking around. Hope you all enjoyed it. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter at TS- Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TSSB Pod for daily updates on all nine New York sports teams. And you can follow and you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, and the Radio.com app as well as your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned for weekly bonus content, including Joe's awesome edits because he has to do them and he hasn't done anything so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time on the Tri-State Sports Beat. Magazine, salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. And the trenches on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. Hello, Brooklyn. I love your corners. I'm happy so. so. I love your corners. I'm happy so. so. I love your corners. I'm happy so. so. Goodbye.